This is Mike. I'm P.S. I'm all alone, P.S. I'm so excited. I love you, man. What? It's true! Wait, what? Oh, gag. The relationship, I cannot wrap my brain around it. I think probably my best comment on this is, Ugh. I have to fix this. I have, I have to, to fix this. this. Sometimes you date someone and it just doesn't work out. Ryan, I am just so proud to roast your ass over a hot fire and make you regret every nasty thing you ever said about my favorite couple. Goodness, the vilification of that poor little Hufflepuff was beyond belief. You know why I can't let it go? That will let the terrorists win. And you thought season two was unbelievable. I love you. Rene, did you read the article about the kangaroo that broke into the guy's house? <laughs> yes. And raped uh, them? What? what? <laughs> Where is your mind? Where should we need to be recording? <laughs> I am recording. <laughs> Where did you get and raped him from? I thought you were talking like kangaroo bestiality. <laughs> Hold on, we had to explain Enpreg to you. Guy is in his underwear, and his house gets broken into by a kangaroo, and he, like, has to, like, beat the thing up and wrestle it to the ground with all this stuff. Can I ask why the whole family was sleeping together in one bed? That just was not right. Oh, that's like the family bed thing. That's that's weird. I don't like... She's nine, he's in his underwear. The whole thing's freaking me out. And he kept drawing it back to the underwear, like, three times in the story. I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. I think it was all set up. Wouldn't shock me if they were, like, kangaroo people in Australia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you guys are so, or not you guys, Mike, you are so weird. Because I'm, I'm so, so famous, and awesome at Quidditch, just to remember the time that I took you to Slughorn's office, and you nearly dragged yourself to death, and I saved your neck. Welcome back to Parfait Weekly. This is Ryan. This is Rena. I'm Kesa. Mike. See, we, I, I like the fact that they're staring at each other, and Mike was oblivious to the fact that they were staring <laughs> at each other, because Mike is still looking for the missing dollar from last week's episode. And Mike, please do not read me your memo again. I understand your concerns. I'm just saying, there's a missing dollar. So, we are beginning this week, uh, four weeks of covering uh, Creative Quill's Power of Truth, Power of Faith, I believe I got the names right, uh, series. This was written when? Like, 2001? Is that when I this began? Yeah, well, obviously after that, because um, they referenced the 9-11 attacks. But yeah, this is one of the older fix. It's not as old as Paradigm of Uncertainty, though. I think that is probably the earliest fic that we've covered. I believe this one was written right after the release of Goblet of Fire. Okay, so that would have been... Well, that would have been mid-2003, uh, so that... The date... That's not true. Is the date on Fan Fiction Net the date that it was published, or just when it was uploaded to... Well, it would have to be, because Luna Lovegood's in it. Although she's not in it to start. She's in it pretty fast, like she's in it within the first 14 chapters. Well, I, it's, I don't think it was like she was intentionally left out of the story at that point, because they didn't... Or, or I don't think she was left out because I didn't know about her. I think it was kind of intentional because of, you know, the depth of her, like what her character is and how she fits into the story. I think that was why she was, she came in a little bit later. Actually, why are we hypothesizing Keza? When was the fic published? (laughs) 
2004. Okay, so it's actually not nearly as old as I thought. Okay. That's so, after Order of the Phoenix. It has to be after Order of yeah. the Phoenix because Luna didn't turn up until Order of the Phoenix. And yeah. Umbridge, so a- Umbridge is actually discussed in the second chapter. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, well, it's actually, the other one. well, I'm actually glad to hear that. I mean, just Pre-slap to start off. Horn. Sorry, P.S. <laughs> P.S. is very upset. P.S. is sitting in her little Horace Slughorn themed bedroom right now wearing her plaid, just nodding her head. So. She's got With her removed pennant. wisdom teeth. She can't be here tonight because she had her wisdom teeth removed. Can I tell you, I'm so far behind editing the Pofwa Exchange. I found a Pofwa Exchange episode where we're trying to guess who will win the upcoming presidential primary. And there's a moment where uh, P.S. says that she never has to have her wisdom teeth removed. And she's since had subsequent surgeries to have that done years later. So we're, we're getting these things out fast and furious for She missed herself. I, I, well, yeah. So um, this is Rinna's pick. Rinna mentioned yes. this pick to me the day I met her. And she insisted we put this on the podcast, and we got to that request within 24 months. So, sorry about that. <laughs> All right, so what's the story? Why this fic? Why you want this one on the well, podcast? Well, I, I wanted this one particularly. This is actually one of the first fics that I ever really read. I came to the fandom kind of in a very strange way. That My first foray into fan fiction was on Austin.net, the Derbyshire Writers Guild, which is a fanfic site for Jane Austen. I had no idea what fanfiction.net was at that point, and someone had linked to a story on fanfic.net, and I went over there, and I was like, oh my gosh, you mean there's fanfic for other stories? (laughs) Like, I mean, I had no idea. I thought it was just a weird thing that I found for Jane Austen. I didn't realize how incredibly all-encompassing fandom was in general. And so I had read the Harry Potter books up until that point. And I think I started reading them right before Goblet of Fire was released because I remember I finished the third book and went and picked up the fourth book the next day because it had actually just been released. I started looking around on fanfiction.net and I found a couple of stories and then I found this one. And what stuck out to me about this story was just the way that Creative Quill was able to tie in real world things. And the idea that the whole premise of the story is, what if it was real? What if this was an actual thing? What if the magical world was real? What if it was really possible? And what if this was all going on and we didn't know it? And I think as I read it, the way that it pulled in all these other different elements, you know, and it pulled in technology, but not in a way like all of a sudden everybody's all savvy about everything else. Now, I've been such a canon Nazi in the past, but the way that this goes about being AU is it says, okay, this was all kind of creative license by this woman who wrote the books. This is what really happened. And And that's the way I like it. Because if you're going to go on what we have from canon and make it AU from that point, you know, you've got a lot of work to to undo before you can make me believe that Harry would all of a sudden be dark or Ginny would become a prostitute or Draco Malfoy would become the next Dr. Phil. I mean, you have a lot of work to undo. (laughs) I would love to see that. To make me believe something like that. (laughs) But in this story, it says, okay, this is what happened. I mean, it's kind of why I like the Dangerverse story. I mean, they, they... say, okay, we're going to wipe out everything you know, and we're going to go back to the beginning. And this is one, I mean, I have reread this story um, at least once a year since I found it at first. I've also read everything else that Creative Quill has done, has written, and I, it was 
really incredible to me because I got a chance to see her grow as an author from where she first started to where she stopped writing. Um, I believe in 2005 or 2006 is when she stopped writing. This is not the most polished story I've ever read. And a lot of people were saying, well, there's a lot of technical errors in it, not necessarily from a story point of view, but, you know, just regular technical errors that would really throw you out of the story. And usually those things just really stick in my craw like nobody's business. But I think the way she wrote this story and the way the story moves and the characterization and stuff, it it was enough for me to look past it. I've only read up to chapter 14, and I listened on my iPod to the first nine chapters, and I read the last five. So I got a good impression over the last five of how it looks on paper, because sometimes when you listen to it, you don't catch... You know, the the run-on sentences or the misspelled words or anything because it's read very quickly to you. Um, And obviously, like you said, it's not as polished as some of the the stuff that that we've covered before. For people listening to this now who maybe read it because it was on the podcast but weren't really, you know, into it based on that reason, how does the story progress? Does that... It does get better. It's very clear from reading through it. I do not believe that she had a beta reader at this point. Right. I believe she got one halfway through the second story. There are a lot of just little technical errors, not continuity errors or anything, but little things, a lot of spelling errors, that kind of thing. But the continuity of the story, I mean, I feel like it was always very solid. And she even found a couple of things that people came back and said, well, I think that was wrong. And she said, okay, well, here's what it is. J.K. Rowling got it wrong when she wrote the book <laughs> because this is yeah. how it really happened. you know. And, and I think that was how I was able to look past a lot of the errors that I found. Because was, she had that universe that she got. Yes. The idea was you know, it doesn't matter that this was written before Deathly Hallows. Anything that's not in this story, you can just say, oh, well, it was artistic license. When you look back at the fix we've covered on the podcast, we've covered the Dangerverse fic, which was a reboot of the canon. We covered Paradigm of Uncertainty, which was written when the canon was relatively young and was able to really progress in, in directions the canon really never went. And we've read stories like Nightmare of Future's Past and They Shook Hands, which take the canon in a very early point and twist a few things and then move it forward or just bring you back in time and reboot the whole thing, you know, much like with Backers of the Purpose. We've read a lot of stuff that is somewhat of a restart to the canon. So the one thing that really grabbed me when Rena first described this fic to me was, you know, obviously the premise that J.K. Rowling is incorporated into the story, that the fact that Harry came into her head as a character was deliberate because Alba Stumbledore sitting in the chair behind her and giving her that information so that she will run with it and that she will create this universe that was pre-planned. I found that very fascinating. But the one thing that really grabbed me was that the world that J.K. Rowling writes is based on her modifications as an author, you know, artistic license, changing the universe, making it a good story versus an actual event. And the fact that it was, you know, further colored by Alba Stumbledore's impressions. So it's it's like a game of telephone. You're now two, three people removed from the actual events. So what JKR writes is going to be very different from what actually happened. That really fascinated me because I'm a big fan of reboots. Like, I'm obviously a big fan of Battlestar Galactica, which is a show based on a cheesy sci-fi show from the 70s. So they took the same characters and they reworked it and made it a much different story. I'm also obviously a huge Star Trek fan, and you're going to see that in a couple months with the new movie coming out that's going to retool the original series and re-release it. So I thought oh, it would be really fun. I'm fa- so excited about that movie. Uh, me too. Yeah. Oh, did you see the trailer the other day yes. saying your father was a Starfleet captain for 12 minutes and he saved 800 lives? Let's see what you can do. I know. Oh my god. Okay, that's over. Um, but 
Uh, it can light up. It's like a wildfire. Just keep an eye on it. When you go forward from that, that's just a really fascinating prospect for me. With Dangerverse, they added the character of Danger and they changed some events, but it's fundamentally the same universe. And then the time travel fix, you know, we're moving from the future to the past and reliving it again, or we're changing... Yeah, or we're changing one event in Death Rolls Fix and we're making Lucius Malfoy and Tony Soprano. But, you know, it's, it's fundamentally the same universe. So what really fascinated me was this would be a very different Hogwarts and a very different wizarding world than what I was accustomed to. So I was really judging her based on that. And I think that um, she does passably well so far as of Chapter 14. There were things she did I liked very much, and there were areas where I don't think she went nearly as far as I hoped. And I'll get right. into that as we go chapter by chapter. But it, it's much more interesting this way than Albus Dumbledore wanted the world to know about Harry Potter. Because then all you have is a muggle who represents us. She's the fan of the books who is now in that world. And without that modification, without that artistic license, um, you know, subcomponent of the plot, you just have someone who read the books now going into that universe. And it's not as interesting because, you know, without that, it would just be someone going into the universe saying, oh, my God, you're a wizard versus, oh, my God, you're that wizard in the book I read. So it it wouldn't add a lot to the story unless for that. And I think it's really fascinating. So that's how I'm choosing to judge the story. And I'll get into my thoughts on it as we go chapter by chapter. And I I just I want to say that I hope anybody that's listening to this you know, I hope that people will, even if they don't think, or even if they think that, you know, some of the less polished parts are going to drive you out of the story, I hope that they go on and keep reading because I feel like there's so much good and so many good elements about the story. And there are some awkward moments and there are some things in here that I don't particularly like that she did. But I think that the concept and the idea and the way that the story moves and the way that the characters react, I think that she did an excellent job of of keeping everything and, and of, of making it a really compelling story. Um, yeah, I think that it was a cop-out. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> to create her story, I was reading it and I'm like, she's basically, she can now toss out anything she doesn't like, anything that doesn't work for her because she can just say, oh, you know, it's not real, it's an over-exaggeration. It just gives her scope to do whatever she wants. But that's okay, though. I, I mean, guess that's... to me, I- I'm kind of halfway between Keza and um, you guys because well, first, I, I love the concept. I thought I've never seen a concept like this before. I thought it was great, and I think I, I guess to me, like something she did, where I could see like like Luna's. I really like the thing with Luna's necklace because to me, there's there's like a logical explanation for why it got right. exaggerated. But then some things like Hagrid not being not existing at all, I don't quite get. Like, yeah. like I like the changes. I like the changes where there was like a logical reason. Like oh, the see, author that's exaggerated. What I mean. She's there. just gone. Sorry. It's like she's just gone, oh, because so many writers don't want to write Hagrid because he's a difficult character. And so it's like, okay, I don't like that character. I'm just going to erase them out of the whole thing. Oh, that's interesting because that was a part I liked very much because I'm a behind-the-scenes guy. Whenever I watch a movie, the first thing I do is wiki it to see, like, you know, the fact that it was way over budget or the fact that, like, three actors, you know, died during the filming of the movie or whatever. I love those fun facts. So I'm used to seeing, you know, in this Star Trek movie, there were originally two, um, you know, female leads. And, you know, during the course of the writing session, they decided to merge it into one lead. Or this was originally the way they were going to go with the plot, then they decided to just shorten it and add this. So I I love seeing stories and how they modify over time, just like, you know, with fan fiction and and with the canon and everything. So when I saw that, my first reaction was, okay, there was never a Hagrid to begin with, but when J.K.R. was writing the story, she needed that big, cuddly guy there, you know, for, you know, comic relief or whatever, so she added him into the story. So I was actually okay with that. I liked the fact that there was... It's not comic relief, 
Hagrid isn't comic relief. Well, there's points where he's, I mean, arguably he's more comic no, relief in the movies. Well, he's more com- yeah. No, he's he's more comic relief in the movies than than, than the books. But you he's have to admit, like the guy's symbolic, and no, she's he's... just ditched him. <laughs> no, well, he's... but at the same time, I think the the point was that she was saying some of the more quote unquote fantastical magical creatures were invented by the author. As and and, and to me, that kind of made sense because you know you hear about these fantasy worlds and you think about oh they have all these cool things and these weird you know there's this and this and this and this and 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 that was what she pulled in you know because there aren't any things as house elves you know there's no such thing as goblins there's no the such thing black. as right you know the more I fantastic know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm distressed by this well idea. i wasn't i wasn't what i'm gonna get into is i wasn't i wasn't distressed by the fact that she took characters out i would have been pissed if she didn't what i was distressed by was that there weren't things in the real world that were removed for the books like i almost wanted it to go both ways like for example Example, I wouldn't have minded if Harry had two best guy friends, and for the books, J.K. was like, mm, why don't we just combine them both into Ron? So, you know what I mean? So I was surprised that there weren't things in the real, quote-unquote, wizarding world no, that just don't, yeah, choice. that got cut from the book for time, you know what I mean? Well, like the missing Weasley also, cousin from Slytherin or something? Like, just stuff like that I thought would have been interesting if that was incorporated back in. Well, and I think hat. also, you know, there's the aspect of when she was writing it, it wasn't like she was setting out, she was setting out to write a children's book. So things are a little bit, you know, things in the real in the real wizarding world are a little bit darker, I think, yeah. than in. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have hoped to see more of that, and maybe we will as it goes along. But I guess that's the thing. When you the, the the basic plot or the basic premise for me is that you've been reading a children's novel. Now you visit the real place, right? And there, and I I really did like the fact that you know, and I'll disagree with Kez that you know the cuddly you know gameskeeper who 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 just loves Harry and wants to hug him until he bleeds. You know, he was added into the book, but he wasn't real. So and that makes it a sadder universe. Because you don't have Hagrid there. Hagrid never existed, and that's a sad thing. What I would have liked, um, you know, the Godfather plot, the Animagus plot. You know, the heroic Godfather who would break out of prison to save his godson. You know, who is yep. you know never given the chance for trial. It's a very dramatic character. He, he never existed. So, the, and that's another sad thing too. The fact that you know Remus Lupin, you know, is the, is the guy in the novel who always has the brain I, tumor. I did find he, that funny though that Remus wasn't a werewolf, and they all thought it was like I liked that because he's actually. like the lady killer. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. So it's yeah, not that I, I don't like, like changes. It's not that I don't think that changes, you know, like, because I, I just think there was too many, and it's just, I think it's a really convenient way for her to go, oh, I don't want to deal with Hagrid, I'm going to cut him out. I don't want to deal with the series. I don't want to deal with Animagus. I'm just going to cut them all out. So that it fits the story that I want to mm-hmm. tell. And I'm kind of like, if you're going to change it that much, I just felt like it was a, a really convenient cop-out device so that okay, she could just go, oh, well, you know, that's okay, rather than... Yeah, I, I think there's like one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing actually is with uh, Luna and her and the logic behind her um, little necklace and the idea that she's not like this um, sort of like head in the clouds sort of girl because to me that, that, that there was like a like oh I can see this I, I can follow the logic of this this makes sense it's kind of cool and then some of the and it was a hit and miss like some of them I'm like none of it ruined the story for me but some of them I'm like huh well you know what I think this tend this is more her doing it for her reasons than for the universe reasons starting with chapter one obviously the story begins with Mora walking back to her apartment and she gets enveloped in you know the cloud of water from the passing car so she's soaked to the bone and she goes into the lobby of her building and you have Tonks uh, Ron and Kingsley they're waiting for her Mm-hmm. And she has no earthly idea who these people are, and she's got one hand on the mace, and they manage to, you know, get her in the port key, and they take her to Potter Manor. 
Okay, I say something really quick about this chapter, which I kind of found funny. Well, I think it's going to be the same thing that I'm going to say, because you were talking earlier. I just want to read this one line from, uh, I believe it was chapter one or chapter two. J.K. Rowling had to be one of the most talented writers of fantasy fiction she'd ever encountered. She'd even considered changing her career after being so affected by the books. All right. I went to Best Buy last week, and when Danielle and I walked out the door, she looked at me and said, the security guy, didn't he look like Ron Weasley? Because he had red hair. Because if you're a fan of the books, you do that. Okay, yeah. she walks into her building, and there's guys in robes. There's a there's a redhead, a big black guy, and a woman with pink hair. Yeah. And she has to look at them and be like, oh my god, it's a Harry Potter convention. Like, why wasn't that the first thing that she thought? Well, yes, like, but she's also been kind of thrown, you know, she's having a bad day. Well, that was the thing I, like, well, I the other, thought. The other thing, though, that I thought was kind of funny is when they're trying to prove to her that they're really wizards, they don't do magic. Like, the solution is like, I'm Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry he points Potter, to his scar, and it's way. like, oh my Oh my god, it's jagged. Oh, you like, don't believe me? Look, I have a scar on my head. Oh my god, it paints. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was simplistic. It was very, very like, To be honest, like, if you saw a guy with, like, who looked vaguely Harry Potterish, and he's like, I'm Harry Potter, like, be like, no, you are, and he goes, like, oh yeah? Look, I have a scar on my forehead. Do you just oh my really- god, can I move in? Uh, yeah, that was something throughout. Like, I wonder, like, look, whenever they're trying to prove it, whenever through this, they never try to prove it by doing magic. It's all, like, take me on faith kind of thing. Yeah, right? I thought that that was a little. Rena, do you have a response for that one? Well, I mean, n- no, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not... (laughs) <laughs> I do like that it's not just a pretty lightning-shaped scar, that it's described as something that's very obviously an injury. And that was a really okay. great line, too, because that was me going, okay, thank God, this world really will be different, because right off the bat, we're getting hit with the change. It is a little bit ridiculous, and I and I do think that if this woman is as hard as, you know, she's a seasoned war journalist, I don't think she would just be like, ah, pass out, at, you know, twice. <laughs> oh my God, can I move in? Yeah, she just... I, I, I can't even doesn't Ron yeah. even say that. Ron He's like, are you sure you've got the that. right bird? She's fainting. You know? <laughs> she faints four times in the first five chapters. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, it is a lot to, you know, she's just been taken by a port key and she has no idea what the hell is going on. And she's got these crazy people who showed up and she's probably, does it say that if they dried her off at any point? I don't remember seeing yeah, that Ginny, they... Yeah, I think, I think Ginny waves her wand and dries her off, doesn't she? Yeah. Someone did, or maybe Ron did back at the lobby. I can't remember. Someone definitely dried her off. Yeah. And no, so, I thought they were going to dry her off. But no, you know what it was? I thought Ron was going to dry her off so she could go into her apartment and get some clothes to go with them. But instead, he walks over and teleports her. Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm like, oh, that was over the top. I didn't think he needed to go that far. But whatever. You know what I would think? Seriously. Picture you're coming into your lobby right now, right? And, and, and you've got, you know, your bags of groceries and your cell phone's ringing and you're jostling trying to get your keys out. And you look in front of you and there's three overweight men standing in front of you. And one of them has a bright yellow shirt on and the other two have bright blue shirts on and one of them has pointed ears and they say Captain James T. Kirk you need to come with us you're not going to think oh my god it's real Gene Roddenberry was a spy or a changeling or something you're going to think oh my god I'm being kidnapped by Star Trek Looney Tunes but but that's what she thinks when they take her she thinks that they are terrorists well I would have thought Leaky 2009 was down the street and some people got a little (laughs) crazy well what I find hilarious is that I agree with Ryan and if you read the line and she goes, prove it. And uh, and they go, oh, how did a certification will this do? And he shows the scar in his forehead. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> well, like... I'm talking about when they took her, when they when ki- when they when they, yeah. te- they port-keyed her away. I mean, I'm talking about that. The port-key would have done it. The, po- 
Porky, if she hadn't lost Harry consciousness, the Porky would have done it. For, I'm like, okay, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was not for me. Well, the anyway, way um, they wrote it, it seemed like like she probably thought she was knocked. Like one of them not came up behind her and knocked her out. Right? right. Like she has no. Like she feels just like everything goes black kind of thing. Yeah, she wouldn't have thought it from the Porky. She wouldn't have thought it from that because she lost consciousness. She gets a little queasy, so she lost a little bit of consciousness. In there. <laughs> so they're telling the. So we're we're learning the whole story, and you know the basic premise being that uh, we need your children, which is a really great chapter break. <laughs> like, send us your dads. Yeah. Send us your dads. But, I, um, I do say, I do like what Jenny says, that giving potions to muggles without knowing their resistance level is about as smart as poking a twitchy aura with a stick. I think <laughs> one of my favorite lines. Because <laughs> well, I can just imagine, can just imagine them, yeah. somebody like standing next to Mad-Eye Moody in like the grocery store or something and just like turning around really quick and like poking it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple things. Well, the okay. first thing I want to point out before we get to the whole "bring out your dead, bring out your dead" thing, I did enjoy the fact that that Hitler was a wizard. <laughs> Hitler was Grindelwald. Hitler was cool. Well, you you read the fix where they try and make uh, you know very famous muggles wizards. Like I read, I read one. I read one where Abe Lincoln was a wizard. I'm like, hmm. So I read one where Echoes Bill was a wizard. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting that usually you hear the Grindelwald rose at the time of Hitler and the world in World War II masked, you know, the rise of Grindelwald and they were interconnected. I've never actually seen Hitler be a wizard. So in that case, he was apparently a dark wizard and he had one ball. So that's what I learned about Hitler today from chapter one. Of Power it, of Truth. That wizard and he had one what? He had one ball. Hitler had one ball. One ball. He wasn't he had one ball. Though, right? he one was, ball. Uh, well, maybe it didn't drop. I never checked. I can look into it if you want. That was a oh, war injury. I'm not an he got very angry that he, only, he didn't have a play toy, so he exterminated like 10 million people. No, he, he just had needed to be sure. And you know what? I'm not 100% sure on that, but I have no problem insulting Hitler's manhood. So if I'm wrong, screw him. That's <laughs> We're going to leave it there. You know what? And I hope the other one malfunctioned frequently and he had erectile dysfunction, like Harry in After the End. But if right. he's a wizard, like Creative Cool says, he can just do Petrificus Totalis and he's fine. Well, I'm well, sure that's, that's real happened, but okay, Could you picture think... him shooting himself with Petrificus Totalis <laughs> oh and he doubles God. over and, and he's got the thing pointed up? It would be terrible. See, okay, I, would be I, just looked, I just looked it up. I would be worried that I would hit my legs by accident. Yes. <laughs> and like all over. Um, Mike has Googled <laughs> Hitler's testicles. Devil. Mike, what have you found? I looked it up. Uh, they used to think it was a urban myth, but then they uncovered documents from a priest. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they uncovered his testicles. <laughs> 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 they uncovered documents from priests who were operating as doctors who confirmed it in their documents. And apparently there's also um, some description from some someone about how he was, uh, at one point when he was wounded, he was covered in blood all over his legs and he wouldn't stop screaming insanely. And they think that might have been when he lost it. Okay, there's a new wrinkle for our brains. Let's get back to the story. <laughs> all me, all me. All right, so um, we're left with the basic plot of the story that a bad guy named Phil is rising. <laughs> I love the fact that his name is Phil. <laughs> because we don't we know have that Popo yet. Phil. At this point, we don't know what his name is. We don't is. know that yet, but we do know that in the first 14 chapters, that it, it's Phil is, is the bad guy. Now, I have to tell you, Phil, formerly a host of Perfect Weekly, absolutely has 14 kids in California. He's adopts everybody in sight. Yeah. Yeah. Phil is apparently a dark wizard. Uh, I don't know about that. But what was his last name? Morden or something like that? Mudin? Mahoot. 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 <laughs> 
know what it is? It's like literally, if you have a, if you're a bad guy, you don't want to be named like Al Lipschitz or something. You want to have a frightening sounding name. I thought Phil <laughs> never was was a little um, non frightening. But the the plot is that the the, wiz, the the Muggle world and the Wizarding world have to come together um, to fight. So right. the fact that Dumbledore introduced the books into the into the Muggle world either had the intended or the secondary side effect of making every single Muggle child want to be Harry Potter and want to go to Hogwarts. And any kid who reads these stories and any adult who reads these stories works in a cubicle wants to live in Harry Potter's world because yeah. it's so much more interesting. But it's only so, kids they can take because I guess once you get past a certain age, it's too hard. Because her magic well, it has, to do, with, like it has to do with belief system, doesn't it? That I if, like that. If your mom, I, like yes. I do too. Getting into chapter two where it says that, you know, it's not about, it's, it's about losing your innocence. Wizarding children aren't exposed to the kind of things that muggle children are and because of that they keep their innocence longer and that's what creates the magic or that's what nurtures their magical ability and I really like that I think that, that it makes a lot of sense I have a question. What's that insati- well it's that insatiable desire in children they automatically believe in magic children mm-hmm. believe anything is possible because they haven't been taught yet what the ground rules are and I, I, I just really do like that that we need to get to the kids early and, and because when just I'll, I'll go over to you in, in a second Mike just the thing with canon is and I like the fact that this is a retooling of the universe because we can get away from you know the Muggleborn stuff and, and the pure blood stuff because in in the um, in the stories it almost or in the stories it does and from JKR it does come across as it's something to do with genetics you're either a wizard or you're not and it's because of the chromosomes and who your parents were and who your grandparents were and it's it's science makes you who you are where in this story it's faith it's if you believe enough as a child it's like Santa Claus if you believe enough you know you'll you'll be able to, to, to accomplish it and if that's snuffed out in you very early it will have an impact on you for the rest of your life I really 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 like that in the beginning of the story what confuses me is I don't think of, that's how it works though okay well how do you think it works well because, because I, I think I think what it is is that there's that there is well I had a question too but I guess first the way I think it works because you remember a few chapters later on when he's looking at um, the newswoman and, and he sees that she has the magical aura and it's mentioned more than mm-hmm. once Harry can touch you and tell if you have magical ability so what I think right. it is is that certain people are born with magical ability and certain people aren't but if you don't keep that innocence or that and if you lose that right mindset then you'll lose the ability to practice magic so it's not well, that, that that's a great point it. it's that only yeah. it's that you lose it if the people who can do it lose it if they don't keep it that mindset well that's a great point because i was actually really confused about that because it said very early on there are no or very few you know muggle borns and the reason that was given for that was if you have muggle parents likely your tendency to believe in magic was snuffed out at an early age by parents who tell you okay you know you're a big boy now you know magic doesn't exist whereas in a pure blood family or you know a family acclimated to to the wizarding world you would be told well of course magic is real you know you see mom you know doing magic on the dishes every night so th- so that so it was that belief system was the factor but you're right for two reasons that we'll get into a little bit later with more number one having an aura more with an aura and number two the fact that you know even though harry this entire plot is to bring the children into the wizarding world and get them acclimated to magic and be able to pretend themselves protect themselves when mora asks harry to show her how to do magic it's like from paradigm of uncertainty when 
when Harry and Hermione are being shot at, but they won't shoot back because they could go to prison. It's like, he's like, I can't show you that. I, you don't know what could happen. Isn't that the whole freaking point to show people? And you just made this whole point of saying there is no statue, the secrecy, and blah, 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 blah. Like, like I was so confused. Believe me, once you finish the story, it will make a lot more sense. But I should be confused now, right? Yes. Yes, okay. indeed, so it you do- should. I have two questions. So it does, it, it does it make sense up to chapter 14? Yes, it makes sense after that. Okay. Yes, promise. Got promise, it. promise. I'm fine. Oh, yeah, good. Was, why, what, I have two questions. One I'll hold to we get later on because it's about stuff later on. But the question here is, mm-hmm. with, I, I get what they're saying about how magic works. Some people have magic, you lose it if you have the wrong mindset. But I, I guess my thinking is, how does, in this world, how does Hogwarts then pick out the muggle-born children they have? And like, like, why is it that all this time certain muggle-born children, like Hermione and, and Harry, or not muggle-born, but, you know, raised by muggles in Harry's case, and muggle-born in Hermione's case, are going to Hogwarts, but all these other children haven't been getting invites all this time. But now they are going. That's what I didn't quite get. What I thought, and I'll let them answer after I throw up my two cents, what I thought was that the children in muggle families who continue to believe and are best acclimated for magic would show up in whatever sensor. Yeah, they're going to show up on the tarot deck. <laughs> the tarot deck from PAU that they pop up there. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was under the impression it was something along those lines. The, the question I did have was why did Mora, if she's a witch, not a muggle a witch, why didn't she get the Hogwarts leather? And maybe we'll find out more on that later. But that well, what makes her? What makes her? All these other muggle-born children are going to become witches and wizards. So, yeah. uh, Any answers to that? Yeah. No. <laughs> Rena? The kids that get to go to Hogwarts are the kids that are going to grow up and be the professors and are going to grow up and be the Aurors and, and things like that. The kids the that the don't, best. they might still be magical, but they would be more home educated. Right, like but Stan Shunpike would not be like in, the, in in this universe. If you're an exceptionally qualified witch or wizard, Hogwarts is an elite school. You're going to be invited. It's it's the Harvard of the wizarding world. If you're a Stan Shunpike or if you're someone who isn't very acclimated to magic, you wouldn't be invited. We're talking muggles here. So the reason Hermione is invited is because she's talented, and the reason these no, we're talking about. Right, Renate, talk- was I correct in what I just said? Yes. It's more exactly, and and I think the thing is that what happens with these Mughal children if they don't get an invitation to Hogwarts, then they never realize that there's anything different about them. They just go through life with this more childlike sense of wonder, but they they never realize that there's something different about them. Right, but what I'm asking is they're not even with this new plan. They're not taking kids who are younger than 11. If you read on yeah. whatever chapter it is, so my point being there must be something at the age of 11, a reason why. That's when high school starts. That's when high school school starts. What what I'm saying is, why is Hermione as a muggle-born being invited, but Joe Schmo, a muggle-born, wasn't invited, but now he is being invited? That's what I mean. Hermione's magical quotient is higher. And Hermione's more talented. And they knew that about her. So Joe Schmo might have had an aura. He might have had a magical ability, but he wasn't ever going to be as highly trainable as Hermione. However, what they're wanting to do here is not train these kids to be aurors and, and, you know, teachers and things like that. They're wanting to train these kids enough to protect themselves and their families. And they would have that capability. And I believe it's described Kids here, will be magically weaker with less potential than the regular wizards. Like all these new kids are going to be. But magically- they can build them up. Yeah. But they can technically build the. Well, they could build them up as well too, because only two They'll never equal start- Hermione, though, basically. Well, well once you start kids- to believe, and I probably shouldn't comment to this because I don't know the answer. But once you start to believe, your aura might get stronger. Maybe. Is but my- then if that's the case, it has to do with have- confidence, I think, as well. The question is this: the thing- last thing. I- Go ahead. Well, I guess this is what I don't get. If you're telling me that they could, like every single Muggle-born kid, whether they 
they've been in the, like has the, okay every Muggleborn kid who in the past hasn't been invited has the potential to be as strong as Wizard as all had the ones who were invited had, had have the had had the potential and right now have too um the potential to uh to equal the oh, ones who were invited and I don't see why some were invited and some weren't because even if you tell me oh well they don't have quite the right mindset you're saying well if they go to Hogwarts they'll suddenly have the right mindset and they'll be as powerful as Hermione was they will never be as powerful as Hermione they're just saying they have the option of learning about magic and of of becoming adept with it but these new wizards will never quote wizards will never equal the old ones in power they will equal people like Stan Shunpike they will equal people like Hogwarts right never equal like a Dean or a Lunar or Malfoy or someone like that. Right. That's what I'm asking. Okay, that makes sense. Alright, and the one thing I just want to say as well, too, then we'll move on to Chapter 2 and Chapter 3. What I took from the story was that what the, what they want to do is, you know, through the Harry Potter novels and through using Mora, you know, to spread the word, they want to make it common knowledge that there is a wizarding world. So young children, 2, 3, 4, when their parents tell you there is no magic, they'll say, yes, there is, Mom. And after a while, you know, those kids may, as a result of the changes everyone's making, when they do turn 11, their aura may not have been extinguished. They may be able to maintain that belief so that when they do become 11, they may be able to become a Hermione. Because what I took from it, or what I just took from Myrna, is that if you took a 45-year-old stockbroker and somehow brought him into the wizarding world and he didn't believe a thing about this magic crap, and you prove to him beyond any reasonable doubt that there is a Hogwarts, he couldn't you know, start from scratch. He was too far gone, quote-unquote. Whereas if you got him when he was six, he could have been something. Is that fair to say? I think so. Okay. That's all I got. So you might have asked a follow up question, even though it's it's touching what we're saying now, but also on some stuff chapters later from chapters later on. Why don't we just get to it? Uh, do you want to just get Mike, to it? Let me just say this, okay? On? You have not read past chapter fourteen, correct? Yeah. Okay. Mara is a special case. Okay, there is you know, something unique that. about Mara. My question completely. I'm totally satisfied with your answer about the kids. Okay. I just wanted to see that there's a reason why these kids weren't being invited before that they won't ever equal the potential of the kids trained in Hogwarts. Um, that that answers the question for me. I'm perfectly satisfied. Okay. okay. Right. I, I felt the pacing was a little bit odd in chapter two because you would think yeah. you know, after just finding that there's a wizarding world you would say okay harry tell me about your world and instead he sits down in his wingback chair and says ask me questions <laughs> so you sit there and you're like hmm uh is there a whomping willow yes um is there a hagrid no um i would prefer the sides of the television screen to swiggle and for us to go down memory lane and talk about how neville is really a woman as i said earlier i wanted there to be substantive differences between jkr's universe and creative quills universe i wanted this to be the real story and that was the made for tv movie and what I felt that she did was she subtracted a lot of elements from the canon world. But as of chapter 14, she has an added in replacement um, material. And by that, what I mean is, you know, sometimes like I, um, when I was in high school, the, the nun from Dead Man Walking, the, 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 the nun who, you know, was inspired by um, Susan Sarandon's character came and spoke and she talked about her, about her experiences, you know, from the events that inspired the movie. And one thing she said was that it wasn't a single person she was dealing with. It was multiple multiple people and for for the artistic license it was combined into a single character and you know you see all the time you know in, in, when movies are put together they take two characters and they merge them or they take this character and they cut them and they you know in, instead of having two battles they merge it into one you know what i mean so what i was expecting to find was maybe harry had two guy friends with you know, individual traits and they got merged together by Joe rolling into Ron to make it nice and easy instead of a four group, four friends. It was the trio. So I was looking to see 
stuff in this universe that got cut for canon. And I, I feel like we didn't get that. We got, you know, there is no Hagrid. There is no Hogwarts Express. There are no goblins. There are no elves. There is no Sorting Hat. Rebus isn't a, were- a werewolf. You know, there is no Sirius. A lot of stuff got taken out, but I feel like not enough got put back in to make that universe mm-hmm. as interesting. Well, I think what the, and point, that's, what, the, what the point of it was, and he even says... He even says it in there. She hit the high points. And it's not really the, you know, the those kind of events. It was more realistic. And it could be that that's just the way, you know, Dumbledore gave her the kind of things that she wouldn't need to adjust. You know what I'm saying? Like, she mm-hmm. might feel like she could take things out or add, you know, some artistic license kind of things, change things, but that the high points were all there. Except year and three. And I took it from the store. <laughs> yeah, year three apparently wasn't very... What happened in year three? Not much. Not much <laughs> happened. No, it was a dead year in between us and that. Well, important. and in that, no, that, that's, that yeah. particular year, you know, you say, well, who wants to read the book Harry Potter and the awful, not very interesting, boring year at wizard school? <laughs> you know? Exactly. <laughs> Well, that was even it, too, because I got the sense the her universe was, like, for example, you know, I'm trying to think of a better way to put this. You know, in her, her universe, Joe Rowling's universe was fun and exciting. There was always something happening. And the CQ universe is like, you know what? Sometimes in real life, you just pay your bills and you get foot fungus. <laughs> and you just have to go to the... I mean, like, it just seemed like it was much more of a normal universe, as much as it can be. It was toned down in a lot of areas. I was waiting for them to reference the movies and be and have her look at Harry. You don't look at all like Dan Radcliffe. <laughs> like, I was waiting for a line like that. <laughs> I was really uh, hoping they would do that. And then one other thing I noticed at this point was the the Dursleys' names were changed to protect the innocent, which (laughs) Harry says they weren't that bad. Ginny and Ron say they were. Um, I would have actually liked it if they were, if it was like, you know, the case where DCF got called in and it was like a much more realistic case than... Here's what I wonder, actually, on that note, if assuming their plan goes as they hope and like the worlds become, they know each other and like kind of merge a little bit, could someone like Luna or Harry or Ron sue J.K. Rowling for some of her money for like, you know, their defamation in Luna's case or just like part of the profit in Harry's case. I did like the fact where Luna's like, that woman, I had to change my name. <laughs> Everyone was calling the hot. Well, no, the thing I had was the Dursleys changed their name, but the Creevies didn't. Like, Dennis Creevy, oh, there's a character in the house. No, I, I don't he has think a brother they changed him. the name. I think J.K. Rowling changed the name of the Dursleys. Yeah, like, J.K. changed the name. Yeah. No, she did, but she didn't, but she didn't change Luna's name and she didn't change uh, Harry's oh, name. Okay. The Creevies Anyone name, else's name. Which I thought was funny. Which yeah. I thought would have been, <laughs> yeah, been funny. And the last note I have um, for chapter Chapter two was the fact that Harry still has that residual resentment towards Dumbledore that you always see in the canon because Dumbledore never asked him or informed him in advance that he was going to, um, you know, release the story to J.K. Rowling. So you have Harry, you know, can't walk in public in the Wizarding World because of his fame, and now he has even arguably greater fame in the Muggle world. And Dumbledore did that for likely very um, good, good reasons. I bet he could still walk the in the Muggle good. world though, because no one knows. You know, I mean, you know, what's he was like. I mean, maybe not, they might go like, oh, you look a little bit like how I imagine Harry Potter. No, but- look at more here. He, pull, he pulled his fringe aside and she's like, oh my God, you're Harry Potter. Well, that was a little unrealistic. Like, <laughs> and she's breaking the lease in her apartment. And- so like, if he doesn't put his fringe aside, you know, no one's, especially since he's 10 years old, because the story is, um, the interesting thing too is J.K. changes the years. So Harry's not even, right. he's not the right years either for when the books are published or when they're supposed to take place. He's really like, right. depending on which, you know, how much you know the books, he's either 10 or 20 years older than you're expecting. So 
I have a feeling that he could walk among the muggle world without being recognized. Yeah. Okay. I think it was more yeah. about, uh, like, you know, obviously in this, in this universe, as you can see, they do a lot more moving between the two worlds. You know, it doesn't feel quite as isolated on one do side. Do they give a reason, by the way, why she changed the years tonight? I can't remember. Does, there, does she say why they, it's Well, nighttime? it would have to be because Joe Rowling wrote the story in the late 90s about yeah. events that. Well, actually, no, because she wrote the story in the. Well, no, she'd been working on the story for so long. She'd been working on the story since the early 90s. So technically, the story, Joe Rowling would have been writing the story as it was happening. And I think Dumbled- and Dumbledore was giving her the story after that actually happened. So you had to push yep. the story back a few years before. Okay. You know, how, you know how we're talking about things that don't exist? Um, and, and they're saying um, werewolves, Remus doesn't exist. And then there's this line here they don't exist, Mora, nor do vampires, at least not in the form that the muggle world thinks of just such things. And I couldn't help but wonder if they're sparkly or not. <laughs> What? Sparkly? Yes. I just couldn't help it. I don't get They're it. sparkly in Twilight, Mike. Oh, okay. Sparkly as in, like, glittery? Yes. Okay. Why I are they glittery? I have to re- read because the books. I don't know, that is crazy. <laughs> glittery vampire. That's a, that's, yes. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> I do like the fact that one of the things Creative Quill seems to be trying to do is because we're Mora and we're the, the big name fans who are now getting to you know play around you know truly in JKR's world and to see and, you know to, to go into that world one day. You have to love the fact that she seems to be making a lot of commentary on the canon and the fandom through the story. Like for example, when Gin, when uh, she asks uh, when she asks Ginny, "Are you and Harry together?" No, I You got that from the books, didn't you? No. <laughs> no, I married Dean Thomas. We have three kids. Though on that note, I have to say, I, I don't know. I don't know if you guys who read it a long time ago, Rena and Keza, can remember this. But I was reading this. I had no, not even the faintest inkling it was going to turn to Harry Ginny. I was thinking she was clearly setting it up to be the news reporter woman and Harry, and that was clearly even Laura, that prophecy. The main character. Yeah, you, yeah. You don't seem to know Maura's name because you keep referring <laughs> to her as the news reporter woman. <laughs> She's a journalist. She's not a news reporter. I keep thinking you're talking about, like, you know, a chick behind a desk with her, you know, nicely done hair reading the news, you know, at 6 o'clock. Well, back to the 6 o'clock news today in, in the world. But she was going to say Sydney. But yeah, but anyway, I'm, well, I'm glad to, because... To finish my point. I'm glad because... Wait, let me finish okay. my point quickly. Because, uh, like, one thing is it seems like her and Harry throughout these early chapters are flirting like crazy. Like, he's like, oh, well, you're not married? I'm kind of surprised. You're kind of good looking. You know, like, that kind of thing back okay, and forth. Okay, well, get this. She's a thing. 30-something woman. She's a 30-something woman who's clearly heterosexual and Harry is a 30-something male and she's checking to make sure he's not gay because that's what you do as a 30-something single woman. Every bloke you come across, you just want to check him out because, you know... Yeah, right, but my question is, everyone else... They, they do... They have a, an unusual dynamic between the two of them and it will make sense later in the yes. story. But it's Good, because right now talking. I have no earthly idea what she's supposed to do. Yeah, so I'm just saying that's normal behavior. Right. If you're a single, it's 30, normal behavior, and, and I'm going to check out behavior. if the guy's available. You're going to check out if he's, you know, heterosexual. You're going to check out why he's not married because, you know, if he's 35 and available, there must be something wrong with him. <laughs> well, you have to love Harry's response to the whole thing. Okay, you're literally the most famous man in the world. You can't walk down the street in the Wizarding World. You're known on a first name basis by every small child in the Muggle world. You know, Dumbledore. You know, between Dumbledore and Voldemort, your life is not your own and he's like i'm gay now <laughs> i'm gay now. 
I promise you guys, honestly, all of this will at, at the by the time we get to the end of this story, all of this will make a lot more sense. I because well, I was very concerned curious. about Harry's gayness coming into chapter four. Yeah. I was just curious. Okay, if honestly, else Brian, Brian, do you think I would yeah. have ever in a million years recommended a story where Harry was gay? <laughs> No, I never thought he was. I just thought it was, a, I just thought it was an inside joke. a story with butt sex. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God, that there's butt sex at the end of the story, and really, it's like, ha ha, got ya. As far as I know, this is a butt sex free story. I think the only one who thought that's what the author was setting up at this point was that Harry no. and his lady. Yes, and yes, you were. What? No, because if you're reading author, you like Oh, Mora, yes. I thought you were asking if, you're, if this was a slash story. I did think that she was setting up Mora, and my problem with that was at this point, because of the fact that I don't really have a good feel for Mora. And, let me even back up. We've read some really great OCs. We've had Rose Gay Brown. We've had uh, Laura from POU. Um, yeah. We had the other dude from POU who had weird hair and turned out to be a bad guy, but not really. I can't think of his name. Who the hell was the guy from POU? Danger? The, no. Um, the, oh, Napoleon. Yeah. We've, we've, had, we've had Napoleon. We've had uh, Laura from POU. We've had Rose Gay Brown. We've had some really, really, really strong OCs in some of the stories we read. Um, like, like the, the problem I have is when you put an OC in the role of title character, it gets very difficult for me at the beginning to really um, bond with that person. I had the same problem with Danger Granger because I just I didn't bond immediately with her in the beginning, and it took me a long time to really figure out who she was. And I'm sure as I keep reading the Dangerverse series, I'll get it. But even as of you know where we left off um, at the end of the first story, I was still a little unclear on Danger. I really didn't have a great feel for her character because of the fact that Harry can just you know pull his bangs away and you know oh my god you know I'm a, I'm an investigative journalist, but you're Harry bother because you have a scar like she seemed very simple to me so i really wasn't getting a good feel for her character you know at the point we're at now and especially when the relationship with harry didn't pan out i'm like okay what's her role here she's obviously very important but i just didn't get a good feel for her character and plus some of the writing issues i really wasn't attracted to her character and i'm hoping that will turn around turn around every now and then i get a little bit lonely and you're never coming around and rena has great taste so i'm sure that will turn around <laughs> Did you think, like, I think at th- towards the end of this, now she's set up with Ron, and that's how it's going to work out? Um, I did think that because I did the math in my head and figured out where, <laughs> you know, okay, those two are together, so these two obviously will be together. <laughs> um, yeah, because when she's crying, you know, when she's in her room and she's very upset, Ron comes down and, like, puts his arm around her, or there was a scene similar to that. I definitely did think it was going to go there. Um, I'm just, I just want learn more about Mora as the chapters go on and as the writing um, quality firms up a little bit. But yeah, I mean... Do learn more about about Mora? And and, I mean, I, I like her as an OC because she is... I mean, like I said, there are some awkward moments in the characterization, and I feel like once you get to the end of the story, some of the awkwardness kind of explains itself. And some of it even goes into the sequel. Once you get into the sequel, it kind of explains itself a little bit better. Well, now might be a good time for me to say this. Now, I know Rena wasn't there during the Year Like None other series. She had um, commitments overseas. I did want to you, you are <laughs> obviously series familiar. series we've done on Perfect Weekly. Them's fighting words, Mike. You better watch <laughs> Them's fighting words. I'm sorry. All I can Pictures Lady Chi and Escape when you said that. Um, <laughs> I did make the prediction that Pansy Parkinson was a garden gnome, and there was much mocking after that came up. And I made subsequent predictions, but I never said them out loud because, you know, have a people prediction, right? yelled at me. Yeah. What's I your have predict- a predi- I have I a prediction. It- I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory, some kid is dreaming, and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. I've got a theory, we should work this out. 
Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't think it's going to happen. If it happened and it was pulled off well, I think it would be really cool. Um, it, it deals with the final moments of Chapter 14, but they're relevant to what we're talking about now. Okay. Where you discover that um, that Colonel or General Creevy, whatever the hell his rank is, <laughs> put a memory charm Major. on... Major. Major. Put a memory charm on Mora. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I could think of... Let me just tell you this. Because I'm not... I, I haven't figured Mora out yet, and because some of the other characters seem out of character, because number one, they're different characters than they should be, and number two, I, you know, they seem a little... I haven't figured them out yet either. My favorite character in the story, believe it or not, is Hermione Granger, because I love the little poignant moments, you know, her loss has on the on the, on the the guys. For whatever reason, when I read that, all I could picture is that somehow... Oh my god, I think <laughs> you're right. This is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> well, now that Mike said Tell that, us. I know I'm wrong. I, I thought that somehow Mora, Mora is Hermione, and she's been memory charmed. That was the, gotta, the thought that popped in my I, head. I'm like, hmm. But, some or like some soul connection between her and Hermione. <laughs> no, I don't think there's a soul prediction. connection. This is your prediction. No, it's not. I told you it wasn't going to happen. But I'm for, I, I'm a Battlestar Galactica fan. That shit would happen on Battlestar Galactica. All I can think of is I think it happened. Look at Mike, what do you think well, that's Mike, what? Do you think that's what's going to happen? I, I don't know. Well, no, the fact that Mike is telling me I'm right though even makes me more sure Mike, I'm not. No some connection like like they're, they're like soulmates or like her soul. Oh God. Like, Pretend I, I never said anything. Sisters. All right, move on with you. You know how Hermione's always got a sister in like every second beat, <laughs> right? <laughs> Mora is Danger Granger yeah, and will wake with the da- yeah, Dang it, Ryan, you figured it out. <laughs> all right. I just, well, that's the thing I'm trying. Well, here's the thing. I'm figuring to myself, all right, because of the prophecy, Harry years ago contacted Colin and told Colin to put the memory charm on Mora. And because the thing, I'm glad the memory charm came out. I'm sorry, not the memory charm. It was the, um, it was implied it was the Fidelius charm. Is it possible yeah. it was the Fidelius charm? It, uh, the Fidelius charm. Because, okay, usually, pure, okay, the, the ministry. Is, is customarily moronic. Okay, she's a reporter. She's on TV. Mm. There's a line earlier where it says the Ministry of Magic for years couldn't find her. She's on TV. That's like saying the, the Ministry, prophet, after years of an exhaustive search, <laughs> can't find Wolf Blitzer. Like, it, like, like I'm like, okay, these, these, these morons are even stupider than that. Then Arthur's the department head. So Arthur's the Minister of Magic, isn't he? Well, he, he seems very, yeah, he, but maybe he's just lost it. He's old. He's decrepit. Maybe that's, you know what I mean? Maybe he's been standing hey, too close to the microwave in the shed. This is Arthur who thinks that, you know, like, well, telephones are belly phones. You're wondering why he doesn't spot the woman on the TV. He's probably never seen a TV <laughs> in his life. Well, that's the thing. Are they that stupid that none of them have TVs? <laughs> like, so I'm glad, okay, there's a Fidelius Isn't she term. a written correspondent? Is she on TV? Doesn't she write? All they have is her, how know, do, all they know is her name, right? Because I guess her name's on the prophecy, and that's how they know who it is. No name's, name's not in the, the prophecy. prophecy. No name's no. in the prophecy. Did you read the prophecy, Mike? No, 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 no. I, I know her name's not in the literal prophecy. But the reason they know her... Right? I have that in my notes, actually. So, Mike is... The end of the prophecy, Mike will not have read this. <laughs> well, I, I, I had a question about the prophecy, but... um, I, I'm sure you... Oh, did you read it? Yeah, actually. Because I, I thought it was proof that her and Harry were supposed to get together, because the line where it goes, um, you know, she'll take her rightful place at his side, and I'm thinking, like, oh, her rightful place at her side, what does that mean? They're going to get married. Um, yeah, you know who the dying leader in, is in Battlestar Galactica? Everybody. Everybody's dying all at once. Who is it? I have no idea. But I'm saying um, so. it was her in the prophecy because assuming that that's not different canon too because in the Department of Mysteries they have all the names on them, right? So it's, you know, it's Harry Potter and uh, Journalist Woman. 
Can you write Mora. your name down, please? Thank you, Mora. 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 Write it down. Piece of paper. Write it on your hand. You can look down at it when you're wondering. Mora. Is that, so is that how they, I mean, how do they know it was her in the prophecy? How do they know it? I don't think you know yet. I don't think you know yet. Probably got a question mark, like well, on whatever yeah. other property that was. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll figure that out later. Yeah. And we'll get to the prophecy in a second. I think it's probably the longest prophecy ever written. Prophecy ever written. It, like it has like, you know, like an appendix to it. Like I'm like, okay. All right. I think you're, you're, you're making it a little too clear. Like, can you use ambiguous language at any oh. point? Because like, and then Harry will kill the bad guy. Yeah. Let me say this about prophecy. Oh, God. You crack me up? Okay. We don't know how long ago this prophecy was made. We know that the ministry contacted Harry about a new prophecy. But it could be, I mean, if every prophecy is recorded as it's made into the little, you know, if it's automatically recorded, which mm-hmm. is what it sounds like it is, or, or that's what I took away from canon, is that these prophecies are automatically recorded and in, in, in the Department of Mysteries. It could be that somebody has, their job is to go through every prophecy that's made and catalog them. So we don't know when this prophecy was made. And we know that Mora was under the Fidelius charm for some reason. So wouldn't it be plausible, or possible, let's say possible, wouldn't it be possible that they figured out that this prophecy was about her and put her under the Fidelius charm to keep her safe? Or she's Hermione Granger and they put her under the Fidelius charm to keep her protected. And it messed with her memory. That's why she doesn't realize who she is. I'm... I just do this because I know Mike will follow along with me. I apologize. <laughs> um, See, you well, the other thing, too, lie. is... You lie I mean, to me left and right. They, they I'm not lying to you. I actually thought important. that. They know that she's important, and it could be that there's something significant in, in this prophecy. It could be something significant about her that they knew was important. And so they put her under the Fidelius charm to make sure that she stays alive. And to make sure that nobody else could find her, because if well, she's well, so I important, I hope she's a written cor- yeah. yeah. I hope she's a written correspondent then, because otherwise it would be just really kind of funny because she's on CNN and all the Death Eaters are watching. Like I can't tell where she is, even though it says <laughs> broadcasting live from Cairo. What death where is she? But, but okay. here's my question: Do you not see the description of her in the prophecy? No, 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 no. In, it, it, throughout the story, the description of Mora it describes what she looks like. Did you not? I don't know that. I usually don't absorb that. Mike doesn't read prophecy i don't read description okay <laughs> she is about five two and she's blonde uh-huh. Uh-huh. and what else and she likens her figure to a twig with breasts oh i did get that because jenny's got breasts. more than her more, uh, <laughs> you got jenny that has a more there. finesque figure <laughs> than yes. mora when they bring the clothes out to share well she can't be hermione she could be hermione's yes, soul though in a new body Hermione's soul. She's Hermione reincarnated. Hermione reincarnated. There we go. This is a Buddhist story, and it's Hermione reincarnated. (laughs) I have to say one thing. I don't think Doctor and Mrs. Granger were the type to tell her to believe in magic, so I have no idea how she even made it to Hogwarts. The other thing. We decided to get into Hogwarts. We decided this whole discussion, right? Okay, we're not going back. We're not going back. We're not going back. I have a question about this whole release of the prophecy. Oh my god, do you have a list of 300 questions? What's your question? This is my biggest (laughs) question that I couldn't figure out. Okay. Uh, Go for it, Mike. All right, so. Arthur Weasley's the Minister of Magic. They mm-hmm. know in the uh-huh. prophecy they have to bring the Muggle and the Wizard world together. They have permission to do it because they're bringing all these... Why isn't he signed an executive order and just do it? No, no, no. That's not my question. My question is, so they have to convince the Muggle work. Why are they going about it by having the news person try to write stories in a tabloid where no one's going to believe where they can have an actual wizard go somewhere, demonstrate magic to someone important, or even the news editor, the real news editor, so the news editors believe this is a real story and publish it. Why are they sending her out by herself with no proof of what they're saying to try to do this. You know what because I'm saying? Like why, why doesn't Ron go with her when she talks to the newspaper editor and goes, oh, you don't believe that you think the story is made
made up and she's crazy, watch this. Bam. Because what they're hoping to do... How do I put this? First of all, this is another one of those things that will make sense once you get past chapter 14. Okay, that's all you need to say. That's all you need to say. You can say it's coming okay. if you want. Okay. Right now, though, okay. that makes no sense. I'll take your right. word. And, okay. but, but part of it is because they wanted whatever they picked Mora. It says that she alone can unite the world. Yeah, see, she's the person. The reason that she prophecy. had to do it by herself is because it was prophesied that she had to do it by herself. Yeah. Well, but then you know, Harry. It's the same reason Voldemort. that no one could kill Voldemort with Harry. Harry could right. still have helped. Yeah. He could have done it without the help of his friends helping him fight Voldemort. I mean, he's still like the I can see she's the one that has to do the uniting, but they can't help her along the way a little bit. You know, they do, and and they, do. they give her a place to stay. They pay her car payment. <laughs> well, you know, they give her a place to stay. They stuff. give her an office, and they also, you know, she ends up going through the tabloids. But there's a Who reason why she does that. No one's going to believe a tabloid. I can't believe that anyone, any normal um, person. People believe tabloids uh, all the time. My, that's my, the whole thing in the story. That's why they tell her to go to the tabloids. People do. More people, people do. read not, the tabloids. Not, not like educated normal people, though. Oh, they're yes, not after they educated do. normal yes, people. They're after like yes, and educated do. normal and, people read tabloids. Okay, you, you pick up. <laughs> what do you do? You're in the supermarket. You're waiting in line. What do you pick up? The New York Times? Hell no. You pick up the National Enquirer. Well, let me put it this way. I mean, if any of you read the story? <laughs> any of us right here in this pocket? Let's. We're all Harry Potter fans. Too. If any of us read a story in the tabloid while we're waiting at the supermarket talking about how um, Harry Potter was real and all this stuff, would any of us buy it? Be honest. Well, you had the thing with document. Well, you had the thing with um, where she says she has documented proof, and I don't think she really gets into what that documented proof is. Like it implies she has DNA evidence that she gives to um, I can't think of his name, the the editor Steven of the Lewis. tabloid. Yeah, I mean Stephen Lewis. I mean I was ha- the Gryffindor. He's a, he was a Gryffindor. Quick call state. Yeah, we have to ask. Like, like I could buy that if it was like a real newspaper. Then like okay, there's the evidence. Maybe I'm actually going to think oh, no. about. This, I mean, well, any evidence you're no, in a like tabloid, I, do we, like, I'm like, literally, like, us right here, would you take serious evidence in a well, tabloid? Okay. I had a conversation, I, I, had a conf- I had a conversation today at work with three, there was three people on one side of a table, three people on another, and we were discussing um, psychics and people who claim to contact the other side. And you have six incredibly well-educated people in the room, three of them believed, three of them didn't. I'm disappointed in your so, statistics. Yes, and I, and I was on the side saying, I believe, because I've had random experiences, which I can't explain, so I would rather be hopeful than not. Other people are scientific, and unless you give them you know, the DNA evidence, they're not going to buy it. But I definitely think, it, like, I think Lewis says the best, where there's things in this world that can't be explained, why the hell not? And I think there's people who, honestly, they may not believe that there are aliens walking the planet Earth, but they believe aliens are very plausible, and that it's very possible aliens have visited Earth before, and there's other people who say that's a bunch of crap. So... I think you're targeting the people who are most likely to be open-minded. Right. Is their eventual goal, though, is to convince everyone, like, you know, like, governments recognize them, that kind of right. thing. Right. So they start with the people who are willing to believe, and they train them, and then people see that this is what happens. Yeah, it's similar to uh, Backward with Purpose, too. In Backward with Purpose, you have um, Harry, Ginny, and Ron um, want people to have faith in them and, and, and decide for themselves to believe in them versus giving them proof on day one they can be trusted. It's, it's about the journey, which I'm perfectly fine accepting. I wonder how it would have tra- changed, though, if she had written this after book six, when we see that the ministers know. I wonder how that uh, changed the story. That's, a good, that's well, actually a good point. Um. You sound so surprised. You're like, oh my god, you got one. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like that's like the first... 
the first legitimate <laughs> the first legitimate question that's not going that I that is that I think has nothing to do with what happens after this point in the story. All my questions are legitimate. You just say I can't know the answer yet. That's different from that. Right. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say is that that's the first question. Oh, Mike gets tagged, an and I'm the one who's like, "She's Hermione Granger. She's come back from the dead. She's come back from the dead." Uh, you know something? We're laughing though, oh, Ryan. I think we could be onto something here. We, okay, Mike. Let's talk about it after the podcast because I think we can we can team up. We can get this done. Okay. Um, one thing I do want to say: Do we not? We don't know yet. We know Hermione's dead, but we don't know yet the circumstances of how. Yeah. Or is it just implied? We will learn. That's something that we learn a little bit yeah. later on in the story. Um, Wait, don't we know that she right. killed Dumbledore, though? She killed Dumbledore. My prediction yeah. is she then killed herself because she couldn't live with it. But that's just... They say that, though. Don't they say that in that chapter that she killed Dumbledore and then she couldn't... Isn't that what they say? Yeah. I don't know if they directly... Did they say she killed herself? I she thought they did. Have, I I be, unless I'm just like putting my own thoughts onto it. I thought they said that. Okay. My impression was she did, but I don't remember specifically reading that. But maybe I just flipped through that um fred's an accountant and george george owns a successful landscaping firm i, I like love that. that i love <laughs> that and the fact that you know it's, it's it's another one of those things one of the things that i really like about this story is the fact that mora makes these assumptions about certain things in the wizarding world and so she comes they come in and they ask and she asks them how the how business is going and they're like uh i mean you can almost hear fred saying well it's not tax season yet and george mm-hmm. is like yeah and it's a little rainy so i haven't been mowing many lawns lately you know <laughs> because the best line of dialogue in the entire thing um, is in chapter nine, where Moore is sitting at their computer and she calls Harry on his cell phone, which is very POU, by the way, the fact that Harry has a cell phone. And she's like, I wish I could fax you what I've got here. Harry's like, could email if that would be easier. And there's silence. Moore, are you there? I did it again. Did I? Yeah, you did. Okay, yeah. here's my fax number. Here's my email address. Email me the pictures. <laughs> Because you're used to, like, you know, the Harry Potter universe where, you know, instead of a pen, they have this massive feather that needs to be dipped in the ink, and you can write for, like, three seconds. Harry.Potter, P-O-T-T-E-R, at Hogwarts.net. Right. Exactly. exactly. Wonder if there's a special magical ending to email addresses. That M-A-G. Yeah. <laughs> what was the one from um from Naked Quidditch Match? Oh, yeah. They, um, they had, like, ML or something like that. Something like that? Yeah. ML, oh, yeah. yeah. That was the fic where Mike read where Draco was fondling Harry the entire time. <laughs> oh, um, Lord. Was I the only one who didn't think that McGonagall was oh. McGonagall-ish? She didn't seem... Like, she had the twinkle... She had, like, a twinkle in her eye, so I thought she was, like, half Dumbledore, and <laughs> she didn't seem... In the story, it could be that, you know, this might be something where some characters got combined here to make yeah. McGonagall, because she does seem a lot um, gentler <laughs> than... Well, then, until we get to the scene where she's, like, where she's like, what were you doing in the closet? How do you know about the closet, Minerva McGonagall? I was a student once myself. I'm yeah. like, okay, this is the yeah. I know a lot. You weren't there really. No, dude, on, the, on that note, though, don't you think it's odd that they have a picture of Harry and Ginny making out hanging on the uh, on the stairwell to the to the girls' common room? That's the picture hanging up with them snogging well, on the field? Yeah. Well, Ginny put the picture up in a, in a frightening display of cheesiness later on, because that was Harry's favorite picture of them, too, and he just remembered it just that moment. Or so isn't it hanging in Hogwarts that- so every kid who walks... Isn't that what her daughter says, that every kid who walks, who walks by? I took it that it was hanging in the hallway going to the girls' dorm that Harry yes. could never go up. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and Harry says, I never went there. And they're like, sure you didn't. And I'm like, no, really, I don't think he did because I think he came down like when the floor collapsed beneath them, but maybe he didn't. <laughs> you know, but maybe that was just a JK Rowling thing. But yeah, I think th- it was because was, um... he, goes up to, he goes up there and looks at it. <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't think Wouldn't that be great if, if the floor just collapsed and he fell down? Well, again? but he's also, he's also an adult, and it could just be, you know, tuned to horny teenage boys. <laughs> you know, it could happen. It could have an erection eater. If you walk up the stairs and you have an erection. That would be one thing. I would be happy for her ditch, though. Yeah, it was always very unfair. But then they just all have sex in the guys' room. I said, I was like, why don't the girls, the girls just go up to the guys' room? It's not like it's actually preventing anything. Because the, the stairs read the script, and they know they needed to have all the scenes where Hermione runs in in her, in her bathrobe because Harry's having a nightmare. And depending on the author, they either sleep together or they don't. But. Right. Keza, so, um, she's got a, a mind sharper than a triangle. You have a triangle-shaped mind? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> That's yeah, exactly what I was so just thinking. So let's talk about Check chapter four. <laughs> chapter four, moving <laughs> right on, talking right mind. over everybody. There is a dark snake in the east rising against all light, muggle and wizard, man and child. Only together will they prevail. Alone, all will be lost to the dark. At this point, I'm thinking, okay, this is like prophecies for when you're four, because it's very clear. <laughs> all children must learn the ways of our world. The magic must no longer be held. Okay, by those of magical birth. Alone. Okay, this is like an instruction manual for what to do next. The one who will unite writes alone with death overhead, her life beginning and ending four times. That is, okay, now we're prophetic, because I have no idea what's... I created a monster. Let's hope, and let's by the way, if she dies, lives and dies four times. Her life ends versus Hermione, then is whoever. Hermione Granger is the 13th Cylon. Her life beginning and ending four times. Now we're getting prophetic because I have no idea what's going on. She alone can unite all to fight the world of magic and non, for she alone knows both and must choose again. I have no idea what's happening, but I love it. <laughs> and when the third war for both world and worlds ends, she will take her rightful place by his side to die together. It was meant to be from the beginning of time. We don't know who he, who he is. We don't know when this will happen. You know, so it's ambiguous enough. I just felt in the, in the beginning it was mildly um, like the instruction manual for a home entertainment center. But after I, that, it got, that's, one. that's why it got, I thought Harry and her were going to have a thing. So I was thinking, oh, she's the she's the she, and Harry's the he. She will take his rightful place by his side. You know, yeah, uh, I think that's what they want you to think. Yeah, I don't know, maybe it's like purposely being, you know, purposely leading you down that path. Well, that, and as and it, prophecies yeah. are not always what they seem to be on the surface. Right, right. Valstar Galactic, a perfect example, which I won't get to because it's ending and I'm a little verklempt. So. And one of the keys... The time you hear this... Two keys I see what? to keep talking about the prophecy before we go on is the, the two things which I think are the unexplained, the, the hard, the only things we don't really get is her life beginning and ending four times. I don't quite get that part. Um, and I don't quite get the um, her rightful place at his side to, to die together as it was meant to be. Um, so what, the two questions is how is she living and dying four times and whoever she is and why is she and him whoever he she and him are meant to be together meant to die and meant to die together from the beginning of the time those are everything else yeah yeah well that's what i'm saying yeah, those the beginning of parts, i think everything else you can have a pretty good idea what it's even like third war they explain you know she alone would unite the world that i think too is pretty those are the two parts which i think are the um well she could be Ginny. she could be one of them could be hermione i mean you don't know who she is you don't know yeah. who he is you don't know any of it so i mean that's still pretty we don't you know, know open-ended snake is right I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it's I'm guessing it's Phil. Right. <laughs> Coming to you through the magic of pre-recorded voicemail. You should too bad he's not around so you can't even go, hi, I'm Phil. I'm coming to well, he's not dead, I can call him. He just works <laughs> late. <laughs> 
He's got 15 children. Come on. Should have him, He's not the octopus. Wait a minute, guy. What's going on here? Should have him give like a. Phil is reproducing like a small rabbit. Thank you very much. Yeah. Have him give an apocalyptic no. message in like three voice style. Like, hi, this is Phil. I'm coming to take over the world. Right. Well, we can't do that. He's in Raven. Oh, moving on. Moving on. What chapter are we on? She does a brief rundown of how everyone around the table has lost people to the war. Mm-hmm. And there is, it has not happened yet. And I believe it even happens in the next book, but there is a very sad, very sad, very, very sad chapter coming up um, at some point. Well, there's the-, the chapter coming up through these where um, Harry gets the call that there's been 47 attacks. And I'm laughing at that, not because, you know, Seamus's poor family died, but I'm a Star Trek fan and 47 is like the Star Trek Easter egg. 47 individual medical officers. May I request you activate monitor input 47? The blood gas infuser will keep him alive for another 47 minutes. Distance 547 meters. 47 seconds. A different memory pattern appears. How many do we have left in reserve? 47. Captain Janeway is stored in memory block 47 alpha. Shields are at 47%. Level 6, subsection 47. 47! There were 47 attacks last night, and I giggled, right. and that but makes me a bad, you know, bad, about, bad person. You know, and this is, it talks about Percy redeeming himself, and at the time when oh, this yeah. is written, when this was written, a lot of people were not redeeming Percy in fanfic. And in this particular story, he walks out of his safe house to save Ginny and Molly. What jumped out at me on that is usually you see the ones where, you know, Percy will take the AK for Arthur or he will, um, you know, there's a direct imminent threat to his family and he will do something immediately to prevent it. Whereas, um, Sugar, um, Sugar, whereas, uh, Creative Quill has, or CQ has, um, Percy decide premeditatively that he is going to go out there and actively sacrifice himself for his family, yeah. even though he'll be safe right now because he knows they're going to find him and he doesn't want them to find him when they're there with them so he literally does it for molly and for jimmy you know the two women in his family so i thought that was even a more deeper spend to throw on it i really really like that and i think that it it was very poignant and that it you know it it was one of the better ways that percy was redeemed it wasn't just him being a jackass and then saying all of a sudden you know whoopsie i don't want to be a jackass anymore you know this was (laughs) he had a more fitting end of a hero i thought there never long bottom in this story i don't remember a mention of him so yes he helped right up at hogwarts doesn't he yeah he's the um he's the herbology garden in hermione's little cottage in hogsmeade well, no, there's a, the, the, the thing that got me was, I think is Neville, I believe is there at the order meeting in the beginning. So Neville's there. So I would assume if he was there, yeah, he she was would there. have met him because later on, I think it was more, uh, someone says Neville and she's like Longbottom. Like, I know it's probably a more common name in England, but um, like, if you read the Harry Potter, well, maybe that's it. Maybe I Neville's don't just a much think more common so. Name Longbottom, who would change that no, name? Neville. No, Neville. Neville. Because at one point someone says Neville and she's like Longbottom. I'm like, okay, if you've read the Harry Potter novels, and you know Harry Potter's referencing a Neville. Who do you think he's talking about? But anyway, there's a really great conversation in Chapter 4 about guilt, which is in any Harry Potter fanfiction you're ever going to read, where Harry feels guilty because it's Chapter 4. He hasn't felt guilty in a while, so he's going to get some of that guilt on in Chapter 4. And he feels guilty because in this chapter, he is endangering Mora's life. Or Hermione's life, depending on whether she's the reincarnation of Hermione, as Mike firmly believes, and he is—he he is just gripped with 
gripped with uh, guilt. And Ron, who is not a git in this universe, you know, he becomes a git later on, but so far he says he's not a git, um, gives us the first <laughs> glimpses of Hermione's story that, you know, Hermione killed Dumbledore under Imperius and then is implied killed herself. And he says, do you blame Hermione? Of course I don't blame Hermione. He's like, do you blame me? Because I could have shot Hermione instead of Bellatrix. So I could have saved Dumbledore if I had shot Hermione. Do you blame me? It's like, no, I, of course I don't. Then how do you blame yourself? Any story where someone literally hits Harry over the head with a toaster <laughs> works for me. So I thought that was a really yeah. great moment. And it really injected Hermione into the story. And um, not to jump ahead too much, but there is a scene in the next chapter, too, where Maura learns that she is a witch and needs a wand. And Harry gives her Hermione's. And it's not the fact that he gives her Hermione's, which I thought was important. Because Maura is a character at this point. She's not Mary Sue, but she's in Mary Sue for me so far. So I'm not really as interested in her so far. But I am interested in, in Harry and the trio and you know the, that loss because I know these guys. So the fact that he kept her wand, you're picturing it like perfectly polished in his little box in the, in the drawer, that means a lot. So I thought it was really great that insight into the loss of Hermione and Harry's life. So They don't talk about it very often about what happened to Hermione at this point in the story. It's more little glimpses like in this mm. scene and in, in the one from the end of chapter yeah. four where you just kind of see the periphery about how people feel about her loss and you get this feeling without I mean and that's one of the things that I really liked about Creative Quill she lets us know how devastated they were that they lost her yeah, without like the, the, coming out and, and saying you know here's a big fish yeah. with we lost Hermione written across it slap 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 <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah like it's like after the end after um the, the new houses were the uh, house Dumbledore and house Gordon. Oh, yeah. And I was curious, too, Ryan, that conversation you're talking about, you get the feeling, personally, that it was a, this is the first time they've had this conversation. You get the feeling like this is the sort of conversation they have to go through, like, once every year kind of thing. I'm sorry. I, I didn't get the question for the, 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 the guilt conversation. The, 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 guilt conversation. the guilt conversation. Like, do you think that this was literally like this is the first time it's come out and we've had, we've had this discussion about guilt with Hermione? Or do you get the sense that this is something that oh, they've talked about like a year? Um, every year Harry blinks himself and Ron has to set up straight kind of thing. I, I would probably hope it's the first time they've had the conversation because I think Harry was affected by it. Mm. And I think that's like kind of like the with something so emotionally sensitive, you know, like the loss of a very close friend, you can't, but let me think of an example. It's like if, because my father passed away, it would be like if, you know, my mother were doing something and I said, dad wouldn't want you to do that. It's a really cheap ploy mm-hmm. or it's a really cheap line to use because it's so harmful, mm-hmm. but it really, can, if, if, if you mean it, it can really focus attention. But if you use it too much, you become <laughs> a very hateful person. So I would hope that, Ron would not throw Hermione in Harry's face every year. It says, here's an answer to your question. It says in the text, which I've just gone for, um, it says, I love how we could have done that. But I Hermione. What? Harry turned to his friend, his disbelief at what he was being asked apparent on his face. You heard me. You blame yourself for not being aware. Blah, blah, blah. If he has that much disbelief, it's not something that they go into yep, every right. year. Hey, look, I got one. So if it's not Hermione reincarnated, I got one. I, I, that's one of the things that I think Creative Quill does really, really well is find those little things where sometimes she says things that she doesn't need to say in the story. But in other times, yeah. she does so good about letting these things kind of speak for themselves. And I think this is one of those moments. Well, you know what it is, too? And it's one of the reasons I would probably say uneven is the best word to describe the first 14 chapters, plot-wise, not writing-wise, is that she does the Hermione moment so beautifully. And we'll get to the moment in a second when they go to Hermione's house. Creative Quill does those Hermione moments and the trio moments so beautifully. 
and I really didn't find the same level of quality in the scenes with Mora because I don't know her. So when she's upset, I don't care because I have no idea who the hell this person is yet. And the scenes with Ginny, I didn't feel were up to the same quality as the scenes with Ron concerning Hermione. The relationship between Harry and Ginny and the pacing of it, that in itself is what I really didn't care for about this story. That was the one part. I mean, I am a diehard Harry Ginny person. And it's not that I just like... Yes. It was like, one day we're, oh no, we're not nothing and we're not, we're not dating and and we don't love each other. Blah, 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 blah. What are you talking about? You're just trying to keep your mother's hate off me. I'm not just going to go after Judy to save your butt, you know. Right. <laughs> the next exactly. thing, no? The next thing, you know, they're getting married. You know, it was... It was <laughs> yeah, I'm the, she opens the morning with, I'm the maid. Like, you pay me to clean your toilets. And by the end of the day, okay, they pick up the kids from Hogwarts. And yeah. I wasn't real clear on why we're pulling the kids out of school. Because originally it was a safety thing. And then it was, I have to tell the kids, I want to marry your mom thing. No, it was and the reason you, they pulled them out of school. It was for the safety thing because Jenny wanted the girls at home, and yeah. I don't. And then Harry I don't decides on the agree way. with that decision, but they needed a way to introduce the girls to the story. I guess I don't know. But then yeah, but when they Harry pulled them up at like one thirty in the morning, was awkward too. It was like, yeah, like yeah, the girls were all like, "What's wrong? Is someone dead?" <laughs> I know. I've been no, petrified. Just... I'm woken up at three. No, we need yeah. you to follow me up to my office, and you just walk fourteen miles. No one talking along the way. But we right. just died or whatever. And and. But, so the engagement stuff comes later, and so that's not why they pulled him out of school. This is my notes for, you know, beginning with Harry and Oh, my God, I had no idea. I love you. I love you, too. Oh, my God, I never had to marry Dean. I never loved him, you know, and I told him that every day, but he still thought he could win me over. And then they go and they pick up the kids, and then he <laughs> talks to Molly and, and Arthur, and then he talks to Ron, and I think he asks the mailman what he thinks. And he, he, the whole <laughs> so I'm, this is my thoughts. In all seriousness, the conversation with Molly and Grandpa is lovely. The one with Ron is fine. The one with the girls rubs me funny. Their dad was murdered saving them, but they jump Uncle Harry when he wants to be their new dad. And while yeah. I appreciate he'd go out of his way to prop Dean up around the kids saying I'm sorry, well I appreciate that he'd go out of his way to prop Dean up saying to the three girls, you know you could have been mine, is a little weird, and I'm fairly sure he and Ginny would not have birthed three lovely biracial children. They would have been different kids. Yeah, You're telling three kids, if only I had been smarter, you never would have been born. Like, and they're like, have any freckles. <laughs> so they were talking about the description of the girls, and I think she's forgotten that Dean Thomas is black. Because <laughs> she talks about the clear skin on one of the girls, and how she doesn't. Ha- she's got lovely skin, she looks just like her mother, except she doesn't have the freckles. And I'm like, well, of course she doesn't have the freckles. She's probably black, you know, yeah. mostly. <laughs> She I, probably I do. doesn't have red hair because she would have black hair. <laughs> did we and know thought, Dean Thomas is black that early, though? Yes, when did we, we, find did. Out? Yes, we did. Yes, When the book came yes. out. When was the first oh, yeah, one? Sorcerer's Stone. Okay. Awesome. It's in the book. And yeah, I have no idea. You're right, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> we'll just chalk that up to one of those things where it was artistic license. Yeah, he's white in this one. Well, I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just picturing that. I know, because really, I'm reading the scene and I'm picturing three beautiful, you know, biracial children at the... Ice cream truck or whatever, and Harry saying, "You should have been mine." Like, is then I should have been your biological father. And number one, you know, different kids, different sperm. But number two, <laughs> huh? like it just like that was just the thing that think it pretty well too, though. I mean, considering like you know, they don't know that Harry's been dating their mom. He, you know, like as far as they know, he's Uncle Harry. He hasn't been dating he hasn't their mom. Been. 
It's the same day. That's what I'm saying. They take it pretty well because you have no advanceness of this whatsoever. On this, on, again, this is one of those scenes that was a little bit awkward, but I do think that, you know, at this point in the story, their dad has been dead for five years. And the one thing that even Jenny acknowledges is that Harry stepped up immediately to take care of them. And I think that might be why they react the way they do. Not necessarily because they feel anything less for their dad, but like the youngest one was seven when her dad died. And so, you know, and then Harry's been there for them and been taking care of them. And obviously they live with him. And so I don't think it's, I don't think it necessarily... Am I misremembering, or don't they ask him at one point if, if that's why he's been so nice to them, or something like that? Like, don't they actually ask him that question at some point in the chapter? Yeah, or they I do. But I think that's why they don't react negatively to this. Well, and Harry is genuinely decent because it's said several times he wouldn't poach. Jenny was Dean's. He's not going to mess that up. And even though it killed him, he stood with the Mo- with the Weasleys on the day that she got married to Dean. Yeah. And she had three kids over like three years with them. Wait, and- that makes me think though. If he can say that. It- it, it killed them to stand there. Doesn't that mean that, I guess, I was sort of under the impression that he'd convinced himself up until like that sort of like thunderstruck moment that, oh, no, he didn't really feel about Judy that way. Like, he wasn't lying. I mean, he was wrong, but he wasn't lying when he said she's like my sister and I don't think of her like that. He was just, um, you know, sort of like denial convinced himself, that kind of thing. It's probably a little bit of everything. I mean, I have a friend who um, dated a girl for four years and she meant much more to him than he meant to her. And they broke up in 2000 2002. 2002? They broke up in like the fall of 2002. So it's been seven years, almost, you know, six and a half years. In that time, she has, you know, completed school. She's got, she just got married. She was with a guy for several years. She just got married. I just had dinner with her the other day, you know, her and her husband. And the guy still pines after her. It's been six and a half years. And that's where his mind is. And you could ask him and he would say he's completely moved on. But if she divorces her husband and calls him up tomorrow, he will literally drive over a bus of old ladies and puppies to get to her so and you get very convincing telling other people okay chapter five a lot of the discussion i have is when we find out that almost a danger that we find out that mora is a witch <laughs> and that stuff is going to be explained later but so, that's all it me... is in chapter five okay. all right you're not a muggle yeah, you're a witch we're going to get you a one yeah, very... <laughs> exactly chapter six i swear to god these are my notes i have no comments on chapter six <laughs> mora's pissed harry wants to buy her clothes yet they have a meeting about her car payment in chapter 13 hmm that was my Really, you have absolutely you didn't find anything interesting about chapter six. Nothing that jumped out at me to mention. How about such you? a boy. It was such a boy. No, I'm not going to say anything. Well, you're going to kick yourself. the clothes shopping, and there was the fighting over the clothes. And... Yeah, you're a boy, Mr. $400 at Gap. Okay, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. The bill originally came to 440 With everything on sale, it came to 303 I got a, I got a Gap card that, that brought the, the price down to 240 and I paid the gap card off within 30 minutes. I got a good deal. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, I think that you should reread chapter six um, after you read the next couple of installments and then, like, commence kicking yourself. That is all I'm going to say. There was stuff in chapter... Hold on. I missed the key to the whole story in chapter six? No, no, not the key to the whole story. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Do you have a comment I, as a female, find very interesting. Does I, I did notice in this chapter that they don't use wizarding money anymore. They use muggle money. And and that, that there's, the <laughs> and that there's a Gringotts, but there's no roller coaster. I love that. No, we don't have roller coaster carts. We take the elevator down. <laughs> <It's> like, oh. <laughs> 
the real Wizarding World is less built for film than apparently the one they've. And you know what? Warner the other, uh, what I think, you know how you were saying? Did they put any movie stuff in there? They have right there in the chapter. She oh my buys, God. Harry buys her all the robes except the pink because Mora doesn't like the pink. And chapter seven. Wait, before we go into chapter seven, I think I maybe I just discovered what Kezu was talking about. She goes, um, Ginny Hermione used to spend a lot of time and money here. She heard the wistful tone of his voice and turned to look at him. I sudden thought, making her gasp, "You loved her." Who? Harry looked uncomfortable. Hermione, you loved her. <laughs> ah, yeah. is that what? Because is it that she's like yeah. he used to have a thing with Hermione? Is that like the? Pardon. He used to have a thing with Hermione before she died, and that's why he's so guilty in part. Well, there's a there's a um there's an author note in one of the chapters that says that a lot of the reviewers were thinking it was going to be a Harry Hermione. Thing. Well, I actually did think that, but then I was getting yeah. the sense that she was actually addressing the the fandom itself and saying, okay, here's the Harmonian line, here's the Harry Ginny line, here's yeah. the. She was commenting on various aspects of the fandom, so I didn't necessarily think that after reading it. Plus, if Hermione comes back because she's really more, I guess we'll find out. Saul or Saul. Rin, are you here? I do not think she yeah, is. Yeah, I'm here. Oh, there she is. Laughing she's silently. laughing. Oh, God. This isn't going to be like one of the things where I make the really stupid comment, then I read the next chapter, I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> So I want to know why Maura thinks Harry's a play wizard. I think you might have to explain the concept of play wizard to me. It means <laughs> like, like, I thought he was that a playboy. Play like, no, 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 I'm, shh, I have to explain okay, first. <laughs> That I'm thinking wizard. I'm thinking she's got this image of Harry as like you know Harry Hefner in his little mansion with his bunnies. <laughs> and I don't understand why she's called him a play wizard because Asking he's for clearly a federal bailout. The real the original I, I definition the term... of a playboy was somebody who had a lot of money and who didn't need to work and could just spend all their time pursuing their pleasures. And oh, look real okay, because I'm like looking at the little playboy bunny and thinking there's more on crack. <laughs> yeah, play. Boys kind of like like a, they're supposed to be like you know like rich, relatively young, single, good-looking people, and all the girls try to get its catches. Yeah, but like, no, I, do think, I do think that this, the field a little bit. Yeah, they're talking about, and this is this is in um, moving a little bit ahead into chapter um, chapter eight, where they go to um, Hogwarts for the first time. And I want to come back to something in the beginning, but um, they're talking about new professors for the new houses and the new program at Hogwarts, mm-hmm. and they suggest Ron. And the exchange goes like this: uh, Ron. Harry snorted. In a school full of hormonal girls, are you insane? Yes, perhaps you're right, Harry. It was hard enough keeping him in his own dorm room when he was a student here, and all the girls thought of him as rather an idiot. Now that he's achieved both fame and fortune, I fear it would be like putting a cat amongst the pigeons. Ron wouldn't. <laughs> Maura was shocked. They're children. Some of our seventh-year girls are practically grown women, Maura, said Minerva gently. In our world, most marry directly out of Hogwarts. Ron isn't known for his self-control, Maura, Harry said. He likes women, and 17 is the age of consent in our world. <laughs> that was, well, my first response was, that doesn't make any sense. They're children. And then Maura said that, so I said, thank you, Maura. And then you are like, well, no, 17 is the age of consent. And I'm like, well, in Massachusetts, 16 is the age of consent. Yeah. But that's not that's like saying he can't be a high school gym teacher because the age of consent is 16. Woo-hoo. But I'm the like, other thing right. is, the thing that bothers me about that is, okay, 17, 16, whatever is the age of consent. There is still a student-teacher legality issue because even though 16 is the age of consent, you still can't have sex with your teacher without it going to court because they're your teacher and they're in their position. So oh, I found that Ron is more than twice their age and it's icky. How about that? <laughs> there are lots of icky things about it. Icky, icky, icky. But see, that was also her comments there and her sort of disbelief is another piece of evidence that convinces me that once we know that Harry and Ginny are the couple, that I'm convinced um, 
her and Ron are going to get together. Lauren Mike, say her name. Ron's going to. Hold on. You, <laughs> Thank you. It's written in his hand. Let me get this straight. You think that Ron and Mora are going to get together because Ron wants to jump a seventeen-year-old girl at Hogwarts? No, 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 no. <laughs> no. no you think no, it's no. default because Harry and Ginny are together. The default has to be Ron and Mora. No, no, that's not what I, I think, think. You see from both sides. I think you see Ron. Even, like, Ron's supposed to be this total play... Like, he's supposed to be a playboy. But yet he's so nice and considerate to her. And he seems to have a better a bond with her that's more than simple sexual attraction. And then you see her reaction. But Ron, she has... She f- feels she knows from meeting him isn't the sort of person who would ever take advantage of a 17-year-old girl. So I think you're seeing sort of how they view each other as a setup for their relationship in the future. Ron is Napoleon. <laughs> I'm actually on Mike's side. I don't get to say that nearly often enough. I think Mike may be <laughs> onto something, but what the hell do I know? Uh, before we do get to Chapter 8, though, I just do want to back up to Chapter 7. I have two quick notes on that. Go ahead. In Chapter 7, we meet Molly Weasley, and the first thing that we get from, from Maura is that Molly is nothing like what she expected. It would have been nice if she told us why that was. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, um, is she missing a foot? <laughs> like, why is she... <laughs> like, it, like, uh, She's green. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like Arthur came across as like the old man who wears the pants up to his armpits. With, like, He's the minister of magic, left. isn't he? Well, apparently it's like Lincoln got elected and he was afraid to look at, so maybe it was a similar thing. But Molly seemed pretty normal to me. Like, <laughs> nothing like what I expected. I'm like, well, I just saw Calendar Girls and I saw Julie Waters naked, so I can never look at Molly quite the same way again. But, um... <laughs> I wish she could have shared the secret with the rest of the class, because now I'm dying to know what was different. So I had that comment. And um, because I'm a guy, follow-up comment is, Maura disses marriage. Ron doesn't want to get married. Ginny reminds Harry and Ron they both have many options. Again, not much happening in Chapter 7. Yeah, a lot of these chapters are real short. The story itself pretty short, so... 76,000 words. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Chapter 8, I have four <laughs> pages of notes, so apparently Chapter 8 is the uptick. 6 and 7, the downwards. And we have another of those great Hermione moments in Chapter mm-hmm. 8 to start it off, and, and I think it's it's really yeah. beautiful. Mm. Is this the um, house grandeur? The, the apartment, yeah. No, the apartment. I have down, I love the scene in Hermione's apartment. The boys kept it exactly as she left it. Everything's outdated. And you, you can tell it's like you've gone in a time warp. And I love the detail. They willed everything to each other. So if Ron died, Hermione and, and Harry got everything. And if the three of them died, Ginny got everything. And if Ginny dies, then everyone's dead because there isn't any Weasley who wouldn't have taken a killing curse for Ginny. It's like this. I did like that. I thought that was yeah. very sweet. Like we just covered They Shook Hands by Death Roll and Hermione died in that, but nobody cares because they never had that relationship. The, the trio... Well, you've just ruined it for me. I haven't read it yet. Oh, well, oops. <laughs> Were you um, going to read a Keza? No. <laughs> oops. I mean, the trio are constant some of whatever fix you discover. Unless you have one of those random fix where Ron turns out to be a date rapist the whole time. You know, the trio <laughs> is, is a force to be reckoned with. And Wait, the trio, there where Ron's a date rapist? Yeah, I think there's a couple. Because that's why Hermione dumps him and goes with Harry. Come on. But... Yeah, um, yeah all the that's where he has sex with Paddy Parkinson. Sorry. Right. <laughs> hey, that, that was the most romantic story I ever read. Oh, shush. Uh, <laughs> all right. 
10 bucks is... Do you know, I was on YouTube the other day, and I was trying to find... I don't remember why I was doing this. I was doing something with Pansy Parkinson. I needed something. I needed, like, a line, or I needed... Some... I can't remember what the hell I needed. And I found a YouTube video that was all about the actress who plays Pansy Parkinson in the movies. <laughs> we like, say it well, Like, the first three. <laughs> like, the first three movies. No, they pulled all of her screen grabs, and they did this, like, emotional tribute to her. I'm like, she's been in the movies? Really? <laughs> and apparently Lavender Brown has been black all this time, too. I never knew that either. But what? She's Lavender. not. Well, that was like a big, fat, random fandom crap. No, so. they said that the actress who was supposed to be Lavender Brown in the first four films was actually she was was black, a black actress. There was a black actress, and she was listed in the POA credits as Lavender Brown. Clearly, she's not actually Lavender Brown. They just whacked a name on there to make the credits look pretty. They should right. have just called her think... random Gryffindor student. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I don't think Kesley gets to say they whacked it. I, I think that that was a little artistic license, much like, you know, Harry and Ginny and their children in this one, which... They couldn't have been yours, Harry. I'm sorry, but different sperm. D- doesn't... <laughs> anyway, I'm very obsessed with the sperm of Dean Thomas, which I'm sure Apparently will somehow end up in the in the episode titles. Um, I but I, I agree with with Ren. I, I love the scene. I thought like Hermione is my favorite character in the story in the first fourteen chapters, which is I hope it's her. But um, I think that <laughs> CQ just handled Hermione brilliantly all the way through it. The one thing that did um, disappoint me right after is now I told you in the beginning I'm looking for the differences in the universes. I'm looking for you know why you know the real world is so fascinating compared to the world that JKR made. We're going to Hogwarts. I'm like all right, this is it. Hogwarts. It's going to be different. It's going to be ex- like we're, we're going to really see you know the, the the shifts the chasm here and we get there and and and, Harry, and they're walking up and harry's like now you know it it it, it, it you know it's it's very dangerous you know th- this could be bad you know this is this is gonna be shocking you'd be very shocked and she's like harry will i be safe yes you'll be safe am i you know I'll, I'll survive this you'll be with me i'll be with you every step of the way when you walk through there on the other side of that door you know, it's, it's, it's shocking. And I'm like, oh my God. So they walk in, they open the door and there's a double set of doors. I'm like, there is no double set of doors on my Order of the Phoenix video game. This Hogwarts is completely different. And like, there's no common rooms. They all sleep on tents in the floor. It's like a fort. It's gonna be wonderful. So they, they push through the second set of doors and they're all, and they're in this giant, I thought they were in the great hall already. This giant 30 foot ceilings. I'm like, Oh God, this, I like, I literally, I read this. I was almost wetting myself right there. And she walks in and she, and she sees Sir Nicholas who is in all the books, who is in the movies. And she sees him, and she collapses, and they go to <laughs> McGonagall's office, the headmaster's office, even though McGonagall is clearly a woman, the headmaster's office, and, and McGonagall's like, you know, you should have told her it would be shocking here. And he's like, I tried to. And, and Maura's <laughs> waving her hand. He tried to. I'm like, that was it? That was the difference? There, there's ghosts? They were in the book. So I was I was a little disappointed by the. Uh... It would be disconcerting to you, even if this whole thing was, you know, if this was you in the position and you walked up and it's like, oh hey, there's a ghost. You'd still be a little squicked. I would truly be squicked. I was like, I had been expecting Nape to be head of Gryffindor. <laughs> like I was expecting, like we, you know, because they had that because they had the moment where Mr. Le- Stephen Lewis, right, where Mr. Lewis, they found out he was, you know, Fred and George talking to their wrists, and they walk because they're accountants and they own landscaping firms. They walk outside and they're checking on Lewis, and they come back and they're like Gryffindor class of '68. They're like a Gryffindor. Get me Severus Snape, and I'm like the da 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 Batman music. And I'm picturing Snape, head of Gryffindor House, will show up and be like, you know, back when I was a young Gryffindor, 
I was I was roommates with Lewis, and he's a good man. And that like I'm like, why the hell are you calling Snape? But like I was expecting there to be very um, you know quirky differences. So I was just amused that there was actually quirky differences could be Snape in uh, bunny rabbit pajamas or whatever they were. <laughs> what the hell? Do you remember that? Bunny Colin, Cre- Colin Creepy rabbit. takes pictures of Snape in like whatever. Like what were they? Were they bunny rabbit pajamas? Uh, or they yeah, were bunny yeah, rabbit yeah, yeah. pajamas. That's right. They're like, I think that I missed that. Uh, is that in this fic? Yeah. yeah. That's in this fic. This chapter's reread, Keza. I'm disturbed. Oh, I, actually, I actually just, just found, a, I found a note I have here regarding Ron and his potential to disrupt the 17-year-old female students who have reached the age of consent. My note is Ron is apparently the dude who takes students on field trips and you find them a week later in West Virginia. <laughs> So say this, there was a moment in Chapter 8 where Mora walks into the Great Hall, presumably with McGonagall after she wakes up, and she bumped her head, and she's got, like, you know, like, the bandage and everything. She's walking through, and there's an empty table in the Great Hall, and she looks over at it, and she feels like she's being watched, which was kind of dropped in there, and it uh. wasn't really referenced, so I picked up on that, that there might be either someone with an invisibility cloak or someone watching her. I wasn't sure what was up with that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a bit random, isn't it? You know, I'm really disappointed that I'm not going to be on the podcast. Well, no, I am going to be here next week. It's the week after that I'm going to be gone. I am so coming next week. Oh, this is so coming next week. The ghost of Hermione Granger is sitting under the table <laughs> watching them. So yeah, if she, she died of Hogwarts, see, she died at the bottom of Hogwarts. If she Nicholas, so why couldn't she see the ghost of Hermione Granger, huh? And her ghost of spirit. Her, oh, oh my God, is- Mike, Mike. Hermione is reincarnated, but she's invisible because there was a fissure in the space-time continuum and she's trapped <laughs> under the table. Okay, that's <laughs> I thought you were going to say, she came back as a beetle. What? <laughs> 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 All right, I want I want to share this. I want to share this moment here. This is this is a key moment because you know how, like you said, Mike, before you're not sure what direction the fix going in. They're on the astronomy tower. This would be Harry and Mora. They're on the astronomy tower because she's just fainted, so they took her to the highest point of the building because no danger of her falling off or anything. And you you hear the story about Harry and Ginny's messy breakup, which is one of those haha funny sitcom moments because they lost twenty years of their lives because they you know went with the wrong people. Um, and there was this bit of dialogue. Harry begins. By the time I got it figured out, she was dating Dean, and I don't poach. So you didn't? Nope. Just those two. And since? I really thought this was going to be the moment where you discovered that Harry is a virgin. (laughs) 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 Because uh, he's 35, he saved the world, he's a superstar, but he's only had two girlfriends and he never had time. It didn't go that way, but I was really thinking... Purity ring. Yeah, I thought it was the... the what? A purity ring is the ring that that, um, young Christians, usually it is, will um, declare that they're going to save themselves for marriage and they wear a ring on their finger to signify that they are doing so. I thought that was going to go in a completely different direction. Direction, but I think that's a lovely ritual, and I encourage everyone to use it. But I really thought we were going to have the Harry is a Virgin segment there, so I was a, I was a little. And what does he actually say? Ginny and I did it in this cupboard right here. Exactly. McGonagall's like, I did it in that cupboard too, and Harry's like, I will never think of that cupboard ever again. But McGonagall looked with a twinkle in her eyes over her moon-shaped spectacles. She's stumbled around this one. Right. That's why I say the fastest one. Still dumbfounded. Talk about um, Colin Creevy and Snape in his rabbit pajamas. <laughs> yeah, because clearly I well, skipped that, is, that part. Because <laughs> that is where I feel the fic is going. Mara's return to the world of journalism, and you know she goes a little bit ape shit when she figures out she has to lose her credibility. 
why and... Ron should go with her and cast spells so they believe her. Well, not only that, shouldn't Maura have seen that coming? She's going into her boss's yeah. office. This is wonderful. I've been kidnapped by Harry Potter himself. <laughs> she should have. But... She should have. She should have <laughs> taken precautions. Or even if you like, you don't want Ron to come, why couldn't she take something magical from Diagon Alley with her to prove it? You're like, well, like, why didn't someone think this out that we actually have to convince these people to bring some evidence with us? Like, even if you tell me she can't bring anyone else because she has because of the prophecy, she has to do it all herself. Well, one thing, she's a wizard now, a witch now too, so she has a wand. She should be able to do something. Or two, even take like a magical object from Diagon Alley and let it like do little magical things in front of the. Well, person. I think that's. I think that. Well, it goes back to your earlier question. Then why don't they just walk out in the middle of the street and start casting magic until the news cameras show up and then show everyone in the world the magic is exist exists. I think on some level it probably has to be something that you earn. Plus for her, she's used to, you know, your stature is measured by your level of credibility. She has to lose it all. She has to lose all of her credibility and become a laughing stock to those who formerly were her peers before she can get anything done. So you could argue you think- the process. Unless she brought proof, then she wouldn't have to go through all that. Yeah, but you might, but, like in the previous story. We, nothing worth having comes easily. She has to right. sacrifice in order to, in order to be the witch that's standing with Harry Potter at the end or whatever, she has to sacrifice her life as, as a muggle. She has to do it the hard way because nothing worth doing comes easily. So she could just grab Ron and just take him and everyone goes, oh, wow, look, that guy can make magic. And how is the depth of belief going to be there for the muggles? Because they haven't had to work hard. Is it going to be there for Mora? Because she hasn't had to go through stuff to get it. Because it's just too easy, it's too convenient, and people aren't convinced by easy and convenient. But the, but the thing is, I know, agree on that. Plus, people, but people too, we're not, we're not bent on our knees worshiping David Copperfield. I mean, if people see it on TV, they're going to think it's special effects. They're not going to believe if they're not suited to believe. You want the wider Muggle world to accept it, and you want this to become part of the fabric of Muggle life. You're not going to do it. You're not going to do it to the tabloid. You're eventually going to have to show but, some solid evidence if you want this to become accepted in wider Muggle society. I disagree with that because how many emails do you get around people are sending those hoaxes and those urban myths and people believe them without any evidence. I actually think that it's more smart to go through the tabloids because more people read tabloids and more people will believe the far out, far fetched stories in them than they do the dry, boring stuff in the New York Times. And but wait, let's be honest though. Let's say this really happened in real life. It's in the tabloids. I think, and then you're trying to recruit all these muggle children. How many parents are going to let their kids go to some magic quote? I'm doing quotes with my fingers. Magic school based on what's written in the tabloids. At a certain point, I get what you're saying. I think fine. I, I can accept it's like a good wedge. It's a good way to bring it up into the into the consciousness of the society. But I think at some point, if you really want a, a united war effort between muggles and wizards, you have to provide solid evidence. In but respect. how do you know they're not going to do that? I'm saying whatever they're doing now, it's at best it's laying basic groundwork. It's serious work well, has to be done. Serious. Did, did anyone ever say it wasn't more than groundwork? They're acting like this is the only thing they're going to do. They're still like the rest of the fic to go. So you can't okay. discount right. this plan based on the fact that it's not the end of the plan. It's the start of the plan. Okay, and it's I'll, 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 I'll reserve judgment. I'm, I'm still skeptical, but I'll reserve judgment. We have 47 separate Death Eater attacks on the day that Mora returns to <laughs> the Muggle world. Parliament and Windsor Castle have been destroyed. And I, Mike, I'm shocked you have a question. <laughs> Parliament and Windsor Castle are destroyed in the terror attacks. And I love that in the author's note, she's like, look, I understand the entire British royal family doesn't live at Windsor Castle. Let's, for the sake of the story, pretend they're visiting. 
<laughs> I thought that absolutely just cracked me up. So now we have Prince William running Great Britain, which I find remarkably frightening. It's I would be much more comfortable with Laura Roslin over there, the Secretary of Education. But I was going to say, who do you want to run the country? It's like we're it's like the the military. We're 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 meeting with Prince William. What do you mean? He's all we have left. Do they ever explain what? Actually, I, I had two questions with this. One, I, there's a line at some point where they talk, where Harry, when they have the first order meeting, where they get all together, and Harry's mentioning how um, we have to make sure we eradicate the dark instead of having it rise up again. And that struck me as odd because I'm wondering if the implication of that is they're saying that these just aren't wizards who happen to dabble in dark arts, but there's like some sort of dark, singular dark force that's animating them that they have to sort of stamp out. Because going with oh, that, too, I thought it was interesting that all of the Death Eaters seem to switch their alliance to this guy from the Middle East. And if you think about it, he, you know, he's Middle Eastern. He has no real, my, at least my impression is he has no real close connections to England over anywhere else. So it seems odd that like every single Death Eater just like goes from Voldemort right to this dude. We don't know enough about him though because Ron and Harry Ron and Harry are obviously very familiar with him and we don't know anything about him yet so it's too early to really even question that. It's something well, that question is unbelievable. I'm connections. questioning if that's connected to this idea idea of eradicating the dark if it's not sim- if the idea in this universe is it's not simply some random you know like oh random guys go power hungry and they're like a dictator in our world if the implication is instead there's some sort of dark force that's like a thread between all of these dark lords took it that, that it's the same players who maybe who were there for Voldemort who switched sides to the new guy because it hasn't been that long it's been 20 years everything that's been told to me and everything that Rina has said and, and my trust in Rina is that the story is going to go deeper and it's going to improve in the areas I was looking for it to improve and there's obviously a, a big bombshell that was dropped at the end of chapter 14 which I'm hoping will play out in the ways I'm hoping it will and I, I just think the premise overall is fascinating and I, I think that the only planes, like obviously we, we make fun of a lot of funny stuff like the fact that Harry's on the phone the hardest thing to do as an actor is, is pretend you're on the phone with someone because there's really no one there <laughs> so you have to act like there's, there's someone there but you don't want to overact I was amused because Harry's on the phone he's like good god Really? Good God! Like, I was just laughing at Harry on the phone. Cause, but, you know what? But there were a lot of poignant mo- moments in here. You had Seamus's child be killed and, and wife be killed, and you had Harry proposing to Ginny in the Gryffindor common room, and you had you know, the scene with Ginny's kids, and just the fact that she wanted her girls. She missed her girls. She wanted to be near her girls. And even though she was you know upset with the way that things worked out with Dean, the fact that he gave her these three great girls who see Harry as Uncle Harry, and he considers them his girls. And I think the only complaint complaint I really had, you know, in these chapters was pacing, because, like, for example, right after they get together, he's, he refers to the girls as his girls, and I'm like, well, you might want to talk to them first, because that's <laughs> kind of a squishy thing. Very careful when I picked the point where we were going to stop today. Uh, you picked the one where I went, <gasps> it's Hermione. <laughs> I was very careful when I picked where I where I broke this particular chapter. I mean, and I, and I want to say again, we've kind of bounced around these last couple of chapters, but I, I just want to say again that there are, I mean, this is a fairly unpolished story. It's not as heavily baited as most of the things that we work with are. And I mean, I think that's that's part of the part of the things that you guys are bringing up are, are just things that I think would have been addressed a little bit differently had there been, you know, maybe had there been a beta involved from the very beginning, you know? 
One of the reasons I'm drawn to it, and I was since the first time you brought it up, is I just find the just the plot fascinating, that there really is a wizarding world that's different from ours. And while so far it hasn't been you know, as different as I may have been interested in seeing it, it's still certainly different in and of itself. I mean, the fact that Luna Lovegood is an attorney, you know? I, I know. I mean, like, I was looking for more stuff like that, but the fact that we got stuff like that, you know, in and of itself is a very good sign. Um, and like I said, like, I don't read for, you know, the punctuation because I usually don't read it anyway because I listen to it. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 I read a story before and it, it goes down in, in, in my book as the story that shall not be named. Um, also a story where the author didn't have a bather, coincidentally. Um, and it was, it was three novel length fix and, you know, there was, uh, there's like a 30 chapter stretch where the, where the British military is based at Hogwarts because the magic is malfunctioning and, you know, it's not working right. So they're defending Hogwarts from enemy attack. Like ridiculous dialogue, ridiculous plot devices. And just, just, I've read every damn word of it because I refused to quit. Um, so I was concerned when I saw the fact that they were going with like, you know, the military, you know, working with magical world and, you know, we want to have people on campus and stuff. So I was concerned with the direction where in which it was going, but based, I'll put it this way, based on the fact that you recommended the story, I'm sure I'm going to like it because I really, you know, I, I usually like virtually everything that you like. So I've definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. much less concerned based on the fact that you're vouching for it. I say on record again, because I don't want people thinking that you've lost your mind. Yes, basically. <laughs> that I, I just there were so many qualities in the story that were so good, and I think that from what we have here, it's pretty obvious that Creative Quill had a lot of raw talent, and yeah. that you know she was a very talented writer. And everybody knows that every talented, every very polished writer has an incredible editor behind them. And I think that had she had someone to you know nitpick this and and point out the little things that maybe didn't flow quite as well, you know, it would have been a phenomenal story, but I still think it is a great story. I love the concept of it. And, um, it's just, it's been one of my favorites for a very long time. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to, I definitely want to see what happens to the next set of chapters, you know, with, with the Fidelia's charm and see more of the backstory, which from everything you're telling me is going to be, is going to be pretty good. Look, one thing that actually occurred to me is I remember after, um, nine 11 and the story's actually post nine 11, um, and actually incorporate, the terrorist attacks into the story. Yeah. Which is inter- interesting and somewhat controversial in and of itself. I mean, is that in poor taste? Is that something that, you know, is naturally in poor taste but could be very relevant? And is that something very interesting? It's like there's some things that, you know, you don't do in stories. Like there's sci-fi series that have, you know, Jesus Christ actually have been an alien and do you piss off half the world by telling that story or does it open your mind to new possibilities? I don't know. But I remembered after 9-11, you, everyone was in that mode where, you know, George Bush had 95% approval ratings and everyone loved him and you, you didn't say anything bad about the country or else you weren't patriotic and everyone had flags on their cars and on their homes and, and everything. You, you wouldn't say certain things, you know, everything was in poor taste because it was so fresh in our minds. I'm actually curious if right after, you know, Parliament's destroyed and Windsor Castle's destroyed and the, and the royal family's killed and the government is essentially wiped out and we've lost our prime minister, would even a tabloid run a story the next day saying Harry Potter is real, dark wizards were the ones who attacked Parliament? Like, that was just one thing that jumped out of my mind. Would that would a tabloid do that the day after? If they did, would that show that they truly believe in the story and that the editors and the owners truly believe in the story? 
that they want they see this truth. They don't see this sensationalism. That was just something that jumped in my head. It wasn't the point. Point with the tabloids. And on your nine eleven comment, I, I I don't think it's a poor taste at all in this story because I think the key to what she does is she she's not I don't know as opposed to I guess. Jesus as an alien. Hmm. It, it's not the linchpin in this story. It's sort of like in an event in right. passing. I think maybe like if, like if she had started going into about like, you know, like in, in, in too much detail about like wizards being behind, then you might have started to get like a little like eh on it. But the way she has it here where it's just kind of, oh, you know, this is what's been going on in the world. There's been 9-11. There's been the attacks in uh, here, the attacks here, the right. attacks here. It wasn't, right. I got no bad vibe from that. It, it's using it as a, as momentum. You yeah. know, this just happened. Here's what's going on. Here's how you can help fight it. Al-Qaeda cells, too, at some point in this. I noticed that they yeah. were but yeah. I didn't even think about that, and I don't know if that's because I'm not American, but to me, it was just doing something that I did in my fic when I was writing um, earlier in my fic. In that, in Order of the Phoenix, when Harry is getting slammed by the mainstream media... They go to the Quibbler. And so in my fic, something happened that Harry was, they were basically, the mainstream media in my fic is saying that Harry and Hermione are together and they have a secret love child. So what they do is they get Luna to put the real story in the Quibbler. And to me, the author was just using the same device because the mainstream media cannot be relied on whatever, so they use the... The equivalent would be like if President Obama had to publish an interview in the tabloid, even if the tabloid doesn't have the right standing, Obama does, and we know that this is really him talking, whereas opposed in the story, it's not like Harry, the person we know and trust, this public figure talking through it, because no, you know, he has to give an interview through there. It's just kind of like just random information that's not connected or backed up. Pattern in the canon is that, that that's a device, and I'm just saying that completely outside of whether it's logical, completely outside of whether or not he, Harry Potter is Barack Obama or not. The pattern in Harry Potter is, in fact, not Barack Obama, and I can't say that categorically enough. Harry Potter is not Barack Obama. Or is he? Oh, the point no. that I'm saying is that there is a pattern, and in, in when you're writing literature, fiction, whatever, there are patterns and conventions in the story. And I'm just saying, the author, not unlike myself, may not have looked at all these intricacies that, that, that are going completely over my head about whether or not you should do that right after 9-11 or whatever, and she just went, oh, look, that's what happened to all of the Phoenix, wouldn't it? be cool if they did it that way in this fic. But because they did blow up Parliament and Prince... Um, who was the hell? Was it Prince Charles? Prince William. Prince, Prince William, William is in charge. Or King yeah. William now. Like, uh, like the yeah, king they, is he's the king he, he's and they're st- still calling him Prince William. He should have been... He should have yeah, been king, king William is up at, at the remains of Windsor Ca- Castle in a tent signing the farm bill. I mean... The king wouldn't be the one making the calls in England if, the, if everyone got knocked out. But that's, no, they, they literally they, have nobody left. I got the feeling she's no, a Prince because, William. What yeah. happens? No, the, the monarch signs off on stuff, but it's all decided by like in parliamentary people that sit around. Well, right, but this the Prince William's like actually in charge, isn't he? Like yeah, he's in charge of the military, like literally like giving orders for like troop deployment and things. Which I find a little odd because I think that actually Prince William is not actually a military commander. He's <laughs> Prince Harry is the one who's Harry's actually in, in the military for a start. Um, but the Prince thing Harry's is been having a lot of problems queen, lately. Yeah. The Queen is a figurehead. Like the monarch is a figurehead and not literally giving the orders to the army. So that yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. There is an actual, you know, major lieutenant, What I don't know what guy. My dad only ever made it to private in the British Army. So I don't know. But, you know, there's a guy in charge of the army and he would go to the monarch, King William, and say, look, this is what we should do. And King, King William would go, right, and he would rubber stamp it and sign it. He's not, the King William's not going up to the army guys going, look, you've got to invade, you've got to do whatever. He rubber stamped. The army 
prime minister, the prime minister probably like first it's the prime minister's call probably or whoever becomes prime minister call parliament right but i mean like just like in america like if you wiped out if you bombed the capitol building someone else there's somewhere down the train you know the chain someone else steps forward and takes over takes that charge. would be the person who's making the political calls on okay you know who i think should be in charge of england right now Tony Blair. hey colin creevy i think colin creevy <laughs> should be in charge of england right now because oh, you know why when you read the canon you never would have seen that coming what colin creevy can be the laura roslin of well, the harry potter universe major in this you know the army in this fic you know what bothers me come in this office for a meeting get a free portrait keza actually while you're on keza i'm curious what both keza and ryan thought of the whole quote you know um gift insult between the u.s and britain what oh god we're not talking about the bust of winston churchill are we not not the bust the the, the gift exchange you didn't hear about the gift exchange ryan no Oh. They did a secret Santa. What? No, there's the traditional, you know, first thing, and and the British prime ministers, like apparently they spent like oh, uh, good Lord. like days trying to play out this gift, and they got it from like the, they they made like a. They were doing some other stuff too, though. They're not sitting there around around. I'm oh, sorry, I have no oh. idea what you're talking about. Right. The okay, British this prime is the past. Let me tell you. British decided to present for Obama, President Obama. A president? Oh, they they've gone to Amazon.com to get a president for Barack Obama. On Amazon, what they did, they yes. got for Obama is they made a pen and pen holder from the hull of a British warship, which was one of the first warships, which was patrolling the Middle Passage to stop the slave trade, which also happens to be the sister ship, sister ship of the ship that makes the desk in the Oval Office. And so they went through all this effort. I was going to say, they've downgraded. Last time they gave him a desk, now they're giving him a pen holder? All right, carry on. They go through all this effort to get this special gift for Obama, and Obama's gift back is a set of 12 (laughs) movie DVDs, but apparently also... Five, excuse me, but four I don't know if the British press was exaggerating, but according to the British press, besides from it being just a bunch of 25 movies, the uh, British Prime Minister is blind in one eye and can't doesn't watch TV because he has to strain his eyes too much. So, like, <laughs> British president, American president, just like totally different leagues of like thought and planning. Well, I think we also pissed the Brits off with um, the rejection of the Winston Churchill. Yeah, that, this is right um, after the Winston Churchill. So but what I, I do saying, have to say... What you're saying is that the American government is... Barack Obama sucks, and they're giving the British government 50p for Christmas. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what he's saying. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I've said this before. Good friend of mine um, is, is getting married this August. Several years ago when she started dating her then new boyfriend, you know, they, they drove up because they wanted me, you know, and Danielle to meet him. And I got us all tickets to, um, to see Polar Express at the new IMAX theater, non-refundable tickets, bought them all myself. And she called me after the fact and she's like, ooh, did I mention he only has one eye and has absolutely no depth perception <laughs> to which my response was no I'm so sorry did I forget to ask <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> that's awesome so we ended up meeting him for like 20 minutes because we had to leave and take her parents to the movie because I bought the damn tickets and I needed to use them so it's possible that Barack Obama in his haste at Walmart buying the DVDs did not think to say how many eyes does Gordon Brown have that work properly. Is it two? Does he have both? I don't know. That's Maybe someone search the gift a little bit and think about it. In the- Who does that? Who Googles Gordon Brown eyesight wiki? 
But I mean, there must no be someone in charge of gift giving who's like whole job. All right, all right, all right. I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. Like the, like the mansion in POU, the White House is like POU, and there's a room in there that's set aside for gift giving, and there's a little bloke in there who's got his little computer, and he makes sure that all the gifts. <laughs> what you don't want to do is you don't want to give Gordon Brown anything with nuts in it, and then have him like start choking, and then oh, God, he's got a peanut allergy. Obama's giving him the Heimlich. <laughs> exactly. You want to try and avoid those situations. Where, well, it's ever since George Bush threw up on the Prime Minister of Japan, we've already always been a little whenever uh, we go overseas. So, uh, Bush always looks so awkward when he goes to the countries where they um, hug and kiss you as part of the ritual. I always got a kick out of looking at his like, uh, like how he held himself when he had to do that. Or holding hands. The holding hands thing. Oh, like the walking you know, holding hands. You know, one of the biggest... He always has this look biggest. on him like, hey, look at me, I'm holding hands. One of the biggest news, political news stories of, of the Queen's vi- last visit here. We had this guy, his name is Paul Keating. Said she was 280 years old. And the Queen turns up. <laughs> and I don't know what he did. I can't even remember. I think he, like, hugged her or something. And it was all over the news because, like, he did this great big faux pas. Like, you just don't touch the Queen or something. And he, like, shook her hand or something really outrageous. <laughs> made this headline that news that Paul Keating is the worst Prime Minister in the the history of the world because he, he didn't read the manual before he met the queen. <laughs> he, he thumped the queen on television. Well, George Bush said she was born in 1732 or whatever. Wait, what is this? George Bush said that the queen of England was born in 1732? He said, he said, no, he said that she was here in 1976 and he was giving a speech and said she was here in 1776 and like, <laughs> she glared at him and he looked at her and smiled and it was very <laughs> for the people of the United States. All right, I'm looking through my notes here. I think I've actually covered all the major points I have. I did love Luna Lovegood. I loved the fact that she had a dry sense of humor. I love the fact that she referred to Ron as the weasel. I love the fact that she wore, <laughs> as memory serves, like a bright red power suit. Yeah. Like, I thought that I was just fantastic. I like that she had a crush I, on Harry. <laughs> she took his bottle cap. <laughs> well, that's what I was like. Yeah, different ways of telling the same story. You know, the, the yeah. bottle cap, like Mike said earlier, it makes perfect sense and it means a lot and I just thought that was just a really I, I just thought that was really cool um, I thought that Sue, Luna sued the, JK for slander that's what I want to see I just love the fact that Luna had to change her name because she's attorney Luna Lovegood and she can't get the new work done now so she has to change her name because it was Luna Davis well, I'm like or she just got married but you know whatever um, yeah I thought she was married to yeah, Roger I, Davidson that's what I thought too actually the same name it's not even the same name but I thought it was just another random typo spelling error that's creepy spelt wrong Vic <laughs> Evans, uh, I'm just amused that Colin Creevy is a is a military man. Well, that's the highlight of the story for me. Snape in bunny pajamas. <laughs> I figured that part would get you. I do have down here. I love you. I love you. Care Bear stare, and you say Rena doesn't rub off on me. Um, <laughs> Ron Weasley date rapist in Hogwarts. There, you're my girls. My girls are my bling. I'm Ron Weasley. Girls are my bling. Did you say? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what he said. There is a very dark chapter coming up and it is will it be identified in advance um it is on the website yes it warns it it says specifically what what the chapter is concerning but it involves a character death and it is a dark chapter I hate to say it, but I'm actually pleased to hear that <laughs> because I th- what she does very well is she does the just the emotional angst of certain scenes, and I'm actually hopeful if there's a character death, we'll get more of that. So okay, so I'm looking just- at the schedule, and I'm saddened to note that Ryan's actually not on the schedule next week. <gasps> no, I'll be here. 
I'll be and here. And neither I'll am I. Here. However, I think that Ryan and I need to be there next week because I yes. have to this. And Ryan definitely All has right. to be here next week. Mike is here I, next week. I'm here and next week. Is here next week. And Kismet's going to Mike, be please submit your list of questions in advance. We need to adjust the schedule because um, I said so. Adju- oh, hold on. I have pulled up the schedule. Gen <laughs> 2, on my gone. I like the premise a lot. It's very interesting. Nothing I've disliked at all yet in the fit. A couple of things I have reservations on, like the, um, the tabloid, but nothing I've found too bothering me. The the, the typos don't bother me at all. Um, I love the, I love my favorite parts, I think, are like the little side characters, Luna, Colin, what have you, Snape, I like a lot. I actually really like the character of Mora. I think she's fabulous. I I don't dislike her at all. Like, I don't find, like, her... Like, you know, sometimes you read a fic and you have, like, some sort of... I won't say what fics, but, I, like, you read, like, a fic and, like, you'll be, like, some non-canon character. You're, like, this one really bothers me and I kind of skim through every time she speaks. And that's not the problem I have with her at all. I wouldn't say, like, like I don't have a connection with her, I think, like I had yet, yet anyway, like I do with Harry or Ron, but I'm not bothered by her as a character. I don't find her, like... Well, I am normally bothered by OCs. Um, They're often Mary Sue, obviously, but it's it's more than that in that I think probably because I'm a real um, canon thumper, I guess. And so I like hearing about the the actual characters as they are in canon and I want to see what they're going to do in a different situation. And so often an original character for me gets in the way and I'm like, this person is annoying me. They're in the way. I don't like them. What is their purpose here? And it has to be a really well-written original character for me to be able to appreciate them. And they have to, I have to see their purpose and their function in the story for me to not go, oh, crap, it's that damn OC again. Well, part of it too, so I think, well, it's so much really harder too when they're, when they're a main character, when they're like, when they're the focal point or they're they, the narrator or they're the... I hate when they're the narrator, the, the focal point, when they're a main character. And so this is unusual for me that Maura is... Uh, the, she's the first person we see in the fic. She's obviously the fic is revolving around her. And so I think Creative Cool did a really good job of making her a likable main OC because you don't get very many of those. Yeah, Most think- of the time, main OCs annoy the crap out of me and I click And she doesn't, she doesn't really make that switch into like serious Mary Sue territory. Reactions are not unbelievable. I actually like a lot of her reactions. Like there was one um, when, because Ron's saying, yeah, I'm not a getting, I'm not like I am in the books at all. And there's one point where he's staring at the page three girl in the newspaper and Maura sort of sitting there going, yeah, not much. (laughs) Not Mm. much like Ron. You know, things, it's not, it's not cut, it's not too fluffy and, you know, she's a real person, a Maura character. So I like it. She's cool. I just want to point out that I'm putting the chapters for next week's podcast on my iPod right now. Mm-hmm. And the way I do that is I have to go to the to each chapter and cut and paste all the words and paste them into another document. And I'm so afraid I'm going to see at the end of the chapter and then more morphed into Hermione like, and Harry realized yeah, it was her whole time. So I'm afraid I'm going to see that. So I'm squinting <laughs> so much. At the, I'm squinting so I can't make out the words. And I'm seeing like objects floating in past my field of vision. But then I can't I, read what chapter it is. Can I just uh, so I try and unsquint. Yeah. Can I ask a question? So I feel like Prime Minister Gordon Brown trying to watch a DVD <laughs> gifted to him by President Barack Obama because I can't like see anything. I'm like Mike when he when he dropped his glasses and was two inches away. So I'm like sitting here. You're all talking in this wonderful commentary, and I'm just like I can't see the screen. I'm like Can reaching ask- out for it. it's awful. Sorry, I need to yes. ask a question because I need to be prepared. Okay, are you going to listen to this on your way to work in the car tomorrow? Well, you all have my files, so am I going to listen to? Oh, am I going? Are you going to listen to these chapters, chapter 15, 16, 
I'm in your car on the way to work tomorrow. I am now. No, don't. <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> Wait until you get to work. Oh, am I going to hit the gas? Am I going to hit the gas station? I'm trying to save the state of Massachusetts from mass destruction here. All right, let me ask you a question. I have a. Usually, I listen to this at work. I have a lot of work to get done tomorrow. Should I put on the best of Puffwa and take care of this Saturday morning? <laughs> Don't drive and listen to Fat. Don't you don't even know what's in it. I, I was being like a slogan, like don't drink and drive, don't like No, actually I think it would be quite interesting. I will I will be sitting here at eight o'clock tonight when you get to work in the morning waiting for your reaction. <laughs> so you're gonna risk my life because you wanna know what my reaction is. I'm gonna tell well, you what, yeah. if I don't sign on if I don't sign on to Puffwat at eight o'clock PM Australian time, I didn't make it. I'm gonna put out an alert. Oh lord! <laughs> All right. I am. As soon as we're done here, I'm hitting convert. Oh, but I was gonna say before. I'm yeah. Closing statement. The journalist works better as an original character than you see. Mora, her name is Mora. Mora. Right. The reason. The reason Mora works better because she wasn't in the canon, so she has to be an original character. No, no. no I, I think the problem you run into different writing style when you write fic as opposed to original fiction in that when you're writing a fic because all the characters are established there's not the same sort of character building you'd see in an original story and you sort of skip that because you're building off reader assumptions of the characters and what i think winds up happening is because of that a lot of authors when they write other characters their characters start off assumed fully developed like this is you know You have to take for granted that so-and-so has had these experiences, this background, these powers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of showing it to the reader, you're kind of telling it to the reader. And the difference with her is that she start even when she's introduced, she doesn't start off as – we know what she's going to become, this central prophecy figure. But she starts off sort of as just like this general like, oh my god, Harry Potter? And we're shown her develop a bit more than we are with a lot of other characters. We're seeing how she's developing relationships with Ron and Harry, she doesn't start off with them. And I feel like I'm, it's always bad because I feel like I'm, all, I'm very tough on the OCs that are main characters that we cover on the podcast. I think it's just, at some point, they're going to become real people to me. You know, um, Maura hasn't reached it yet. We'll see if she does next week. You know, Danger didn't, but a lot of the other OCs and POU did. So it's the point where I forget. It's the point where they become real people to me. Yeah. And they're not real people to me yet, but I th- I'm hopeful we'll get there next week and I will be on the podcast next week. Yay. Come hell or Yay. <laughs> Unless I crash to a gas station tomorrow because you people are going to kill me. <laughs> All right, so with that, why don't we take off for the night? And um, oh, I forgot. By the way, this is the season premiere of our third season of Pyrific Weekly. We have made it two seasons, believe it or not, and this is the launch of our third and possibly final season of Pyrific Weekly. So what? we what? take our little trips down memory lane quite frequently. But the very first recording that we did, we were gonna we were gonna be ecstatic if we got one person to download an episode. I remember that. <laughs> well, I actually was looking. I released a Puffo Exchange last night. And I checked back after about 10 minutes and then got five downloads. I'm like, dude, I can close it down right now. I've hit my peak. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ryan, you just said this is the last. Are you sure this is the last season or is that just you're going to play it by ear again? Never say never, but I'd probably like to do some Puffo Exchange stuff after this. Do you ever- 
never read the staff room, Mike. I know. I know. He said we want. I commented on that. I know he said we want to transition in before exchange, but I always take that sort of thing with a grain of salt because to me that could also mean that Ryan switches to before exchange, but he turns over PFW. Oh, to like... this this is because you think Ryan lies to you. I know he lies. <laughs> Ryan lies to me nonstop. It all does. All right, listen. <laughs> well, I could turn it over to Rena, and Parafig Weekly would be in under an hour every week. It would be on topic. Cut the shit. <laughs> Ren is already measuring my I office. Like, off the like, podcast. I guess my, my thing... We haven't a... said goodbye yet. Oh. We are reading the rest of Power of Truth. Be careful on the early okay. chapters. Chapter you may 15. crash your car. Do not drink hot coffee. Chapter 15 to the end. Do not drive... While reading these chapters, remain safe in your okay, home. You people, no, you people did this to me during a year like none other because ever well, not you, direct people, but everyone <laughs> was telling me in the next chapter something awful will happen, and I thought it was going to be this horrific rape scene because that was what it was implied, and it wasn't. I'm like, oh, thank God. Oh, well, that's I like from the yeah. final reckoning. You're telling me Harry... I'm going to cry and I need tissues, and I don't finish reading that fix, shouldn't I? <laughs> Maybe it's you never coming. finished it. I, I haven't. You never I haven't finished, finished it? it yet. Not quite. I, I am a very busy woman. You, I, I edit like fifty six podcasts did you get to? a year. I'm writing a thesis. I'm I've three. What children, part did you get to? You know how I care not. What did I get you, to? You know how I'm like. Yeah, I hope Mr. Kezer recovers. Good luck with the kids. Have fun with the thesis. But I'm like, what part did you redo in Final Reckoning? <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can't remember. I think just after Christmas. I know I got to Christmas because I had a bit of a rant about the Boxing Day. Oh, Christmas. you're not there yet. I'm not, not there crying. yet uh, because you... I'm like everyone's telling, and I'm like Dumbledore died. Maybe I was supposed to cry at that. I don't know. <laughs> nope, that was not that. <laughs> nope, so that, was like, like, that was old I, man I left. I made predictions that like, Hagrid was going to cock it. That was going to kick the bucket. He's going to buy the fire. All right. You know what? If you have 25 chapters left, you don't get to talk. Bye. 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 <laughs> so hold on to the wonder that those books brought to us. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. I just love this Holy part. crap, this is so exciting. This is just like the next generation. Not that kind of next generation. The peons are coming. Peon cast Mark Two. Or as Ryan calls it, Peon Cast, the next generation. Oh my god. I think we should take that name, actually. I actually really prefer that name. Sure, go for it. The bad part is I actually haven't ever seen Star Trek since I was like, what, like five when it was coming out? I know. So I've never actually seen it. Neither have I, actually. But I remember a kid in preschool, he was like obsessed with it. My Star Trek exposure has been the movies, some of them, not all of them, actually, and whatever odd episodes happen to be on when we stay in a hotel somewhere. And that's about it. <laughs> Oh, I feel so old. That's okay. I'm an old classic fan. I mean, I watched them in reruns in the late 70s, so 
<laughs> Before half of you were born. <laughs> Yikes. Yes, we're already off topic. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I love we're off topic about Star Trek, and the majority of us actually have never seen the show. So, is it considered off topic if you've not yet been on topic? I don't think we've actually started on topic, no. Good point. Welcome to Peoncast, or Peoncast Next Generation. I am Cody. Hi, I'm Kayla. I'm Kelly. I'm Scott. I'm Sue. I'm Trisha. And we are Peoncast. <laughs> the next group. So we're going to start things off by saying who we are, and then we'll jump right into the fic. I guess we'll start from the first person who introduced herself. Cody? I came into fandom probably unofficially around 2005, but I didn't really do anything in fandom until about late 2007 when I found PFW. From there, things just sort of skyrocketed. I really got involved with Wizard Rock. I met Julia and Dan, and we started the Pwncast of Rock. There's a ton of people, and it's just been like crazy and wonderful and insane since then. I did have my start in fan fiction, though, when I didn't want to talk to the actual people because, you know, it was nerve-wracking, and so I was just reading, which I've done for the past, what, 15, 16 years of my life. I kind of like the weird chips, as some of you who heard me on the podcast before may know. More Slytherin chips, some chips people wouldn't necessarily think of. Cody's our token Slytherin. Yeah, I am, aren't I? Well, we only have about five active members, so I'm at a 20th of our current house on this show right now. <laughs> and are the rest of us Hufflepuffs? Or? Oh, no, we're not. There's one Ravenclaw and one Slytherin. We don't have any Gryffindors, I guess. Well, Gryffindor also had, like, an exceptionally small active population. I think that if we wouldn't, you know, like, be very opposite in personality, we should just, like, join Gryffindor and Slytherin and have a combined house. But somehow I don't think that would go very well. No! <laughs> <laughs> I'm Kelly, otherwise known as Kismat on the forum. Got into Harry Potter fandom about a year and a half ago. I didn't start on PFW until January because I hadn't listened to any of the podcasts because three hour long podcasts scared me. <laughs> it's been kind of a crazy ride, but it's been fun. Looking forward to Half Blood Prince and Deathly Hallows when they come out. Go ahead. My name is Kayla, as I guess you guys know now, otherwise known on the forums as Kayla. <laughs> I got into fandom probably about a couple of years now by starting to listen to podcasts, and then I was listening to the Spellcast episode when they had Jen and Ryan on, and that's when I started listening to Potterfic Weekly, and then I probably signed up for the forums about February or so, but it kind of just took off from there, and I've been having a lot of fun since, and I've met a lot of great people. <laughs> I don't know who else wants to go next. <laughs> well, I'm Scott, and that's my name on the forum as well. This is just as easy. Until Kayla came along, I was actually the only Canadian on the forum, so that was kind of exciting. Woohoo! Go Canadians! I was one of the earliest here to get into fan things. I started reading fan fiction and things like that on the Warner Brothers forums around 2001. But I only got into most fandom things, forums and podcasts and so on, in 2007, about the same as everyone else here. I'm Sue, and I'm Sue at Duxfoot on the forums. I got into the fandom about a year and a half ago as well, right after the last book came out. And I got an iPod and heard about Mullen DeLeo and read her seventh Horcrux and joined her mailing list. And that's what got me into Poofwa. 
I suppose I should mention I came to the Potterfic Weekly Forum specifically on the Dangerverse bus, as Ryan says. <laughs> Is it a big blue bus with Dangerverse on the side? I have to wonder. <laughs> I have no idea. I heard it's a short bus. That's a short bus. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now, come on. Dangerverse has given us some great members. Oh, it does. I'm just teasing because I'm on the short bus, too. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the short bus, Trish, you want to tell us? <laughs> I'm Trisha. I'm known on the forum as Miss Lupin or, as other people call me, M.S. Lupin. Hmm. I wonder who that is. I didn't get into Potter until the fifth book, really, tell you the truth, the third movie when I took my babysitter on a date and I asked too many questions and she told me I had to read the books. And then I've been hooked ever since. Then somehow I ran into Snape cast and I started falling in love with Snape and that got me into all the other cast. Then last year I just got into the forums and I've never looked back since. That's my life in a nut. In a nut? (laughs) Which kind of nut? Is that a walnut or a pecan? I'm a peanut. Yeah. (laughs) A cracked one, too. Yeah, Yeah, she's just nuts. (laughs) Hey, you guys like me, so we're all nuts together. That's Mm -hmm. right. We're a bunch of happy nuts. Oh, I guess I should also mention Scott and I are audiobook narrators working on a couple of different projects. I've done about 24 chapters of After the End by oh. Arabella Zania. And Scott and I have been going back and forth, alternating chapters on Harry Potter and the Battle of Wills, which is in the Pufo Reading Group right now, which is available oh, on, so good. on fanfic.net by Jocelyn and her mom, which is great because they're both on the forum now. So, hi, guys. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> We do have a couple more people that come and go on our Beyond cast. You'll meet them over the next couple of weeks. We've actually recorded a few, and we decided that we were going to work on the Creative Quill stories because they're being covered with the main podcast as well. And there was a one-shot that was a prequel for Harry Potter and the Power of Truth. And it's called In the Beginning. You can find it on fanfiction.net, and it is rated mature. It picks up with Harry in his sixth year. Because his friends are all sixth years, and then one-fifth, who he's been paying a little bit more attention to lately. Could that be a certain red-headed fifth year? A certain red-headed witch? <laughs> yeah, I'd say it would be. Really? I didn't know there was a red-headed fifth year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> There's always one of us. <laughs> right. The very beginning of this story is Harry noticing Ginny has a new hairdo. And it's kind of like the ones the girls did last year at the Yule Ball, but it's somehow different. And he finds himself kind of liking it. Sorry, this is where I love Jenny. This is a girl that just uses her resources that she has around her. Office supplies. (laughs) This is an assertive Jenny. She kind of freaks him out a bit. And Ron wants to know why Harry is staring at her sister. Um, his. Because of her hair. His, sorry. (laughs) My pronouns are not working today. Were you drinking rum too? No. (laughs) I was going to say. Should I be drinking rum? I was just going to say that. I don't think there's any rum in this concrete. So, yeah, um, Ron is asking Harry why he's staring at his sister. And Harry's reply is, I'm wondering why she has a pencil stuck in her hair. One would wonder. And Ginny explains it's just what she happened to have on hand. And it almost doesn't go any further than that. Except Ron, Hermione, and Luna and Neville go off into the Great Hall. They're just about to have lunch. And Harry hangs back for a moment 
and tells Ginny he thinks it looks pretty. And that sort of causes things to avalanche through the rest of the story. I think that's cute. And I want to know, why does everybody make Harry to be six foot two? (laughs) I was wondering that too. (laughs) It's like, wow, that's really tall. He is a seeker. He's supposed to be little. I don't know, but a little bit later you hear about how she has to look up at him. Way up. Yeah, way up. Right. She's she's five four, no, but she has to doesn't like, say all that much. To look at him. Yeah, she goes six foot two. Harry looked out at the pretty redheaded witch. Oh, I'm like, when did Harry turn six foot? Did he get like an engorgement charm on him or something? <laughs> I don't know. I've never really seen him written that way. Sixteen years old and six two. Oh my god. <laughs> He's a growing boy. Ron must be really tall. <laughs> yeah, it's like what's Ron- in that pumpkin juice? Oh my god! Exactly. <laughs> Ron is like seven foot or something now. There must be some kind of steroids or hormone growth or something in there. Well, look at the pumpkins they're probably coming from. Hagrid's pumpkins. Hagrid's pumpkins. <laughs> Apparently, that pumpkin juice is not organic. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, dear. Go. Forget Quidditch. They're going to join the basketball team. <laughs> right, there you go. Ginny apparently hasn't been drinking. Harry, you'd have to explain it. <laughs> That's true. You That's would. true. That would be fun to see, actually. Someone trying to explain muggle sports to Ron. No, really. There's only one ball. No, it doesn't fly. It just, you right. throw it. Or explode. No, no brooms. No, no. You just have to get it through the hoop. Well, somebody already has. Uh, who's the one that tried to explain football to him earlier? Was that Seamus? Probably mm-hmm. Dean, because Dean's the one who enjoys West Ham. He's the soccer player. player. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, because he had the poster in the dormitory, and Ron couldn't figure out why they weren't moving, because it was a muggle poster, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't get muggles. No, no, no. Oh, uh, well. He has a few track mind. <laughs> Yeah, he does. <laughs> there you go. So they go to potions, and of course they get rather, you know, you have your... There's a confrontation with Malfoy. Of course, as usual. There's always... What isn't there? But I, I do like Harry's response to it, because Malfoy's like, well, well, if it isn't Potty and the Weasel and the... Yeah. Don't bother saying it, Malfoy, Harry said. It's just getting old. And I like that. And then they all start <laughs> trading insults until Snape breaks into it. And then I love Snape's response. Mm. Yeah. And Miss Granger is the only female in the room. I will have to assume the display is for her benefit. Mr. Malfoy, I'm surprised at you. Weasley, sit down. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. and poor Hermione. I love his snarkiness. And it actually makes Harry wonder. Yeah. Ron and Malfoy, really? <laughs> <laughs> Riding over Hermione. Hmm. Really? I haven't seen that before. And then they have a little staring match of their own, which is kind of fun. Yeah, and Harry kind of wins that one, which is really unusual for that. I love it. It couldn't last, but he was determined to enjoy the feeling while it did. Right. That's the moment of triumph. So they go to dinner. <laughs> they go, they go to- and this is where the stuff from earlier starts right. popping up again. This is funny. This is very early. I'm guessing that this is right at the beginning of the school year because they talk about putting together a Quidditch team. They haven't started Quidditch practices yet. And the only two that would be returning to the team would be Ron and Harry. So, and then Ron's all like, you know, hey, they're having steak pie for dinner. Woo! You know, and the girls come in and they're all giggling. And I just love it because giggling girls never bode well for him ever. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was just like the perfect line. Yeah, they don't bode well at all. 
So Luna sits down next to Ron, which is like really funny. Well, you have to remember, Luna is also a fifth year. Mm-hmm. And so she's sitting with them instead of with Ravenclaw House. She's eating dinner with friends. <laughs> and then Harry realizes that something is on his leg. <laughs> it's like, what is that? Ginny, um, mm-hmm. you do know that's my leg. Yes. <laughs> Dear Merlin. Yeah. So he was all like, uh, uh, uh okay. Yep. And apparently Luna is doing the same thing to Ron. It's just That's priceless. So it's just hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And they both look panicked. Yeah. What on earth are they in for? Yeah. And then the game starts. Mm-hmm. They spend the next few weeks actively avoiding both the girls because they're apparently showing up absolutely everywhere. I just see them playing Mission Impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Periscopes around the corner. Right! (laughs) There's got to be a skull or or something for that. I know, I was just thinking that. (laughs) It's the peer around the corner charm or something. Something you can extend your eyeball and it goes around or something. Although, I don't know. They really don't need it. You got that one, Tucker. Oh, your eyeballs. No, no, no. I'm thinking that they probably made really extensive use of the Marauder's Ramp. Yeah. Yeah. That'd work. (laughs) Trying to hide from the girls. (laughs) Detours. You know, the Marauders, especially series, would be like, you're running away from girls? Why? But they do have to go to classes, unfortunately, and they all end up meeting up there. So Ron is explaining because Luna is everywhere, and bloody Ginny, too. This is how Harry realizes that Ron actually knows about this. Yeah. Because he's been trying to avoid Ginny and Ron because he doesn't want Ron to realize that his sister has feelings for him or he has feelings for his sister. And yeah. It's all terribly awkward. And Ron actually realizes and has known for years that Ginny has a thing for Harry. And in this one, anyway, has no problem with them being together, which right. is something of a shock for Harry. But I oh, thought yeah. this was like a really good Ron moment kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> I like yeah. the line. But just remember, if you hurt her, Voldemort won't be a problem anymore, at least for you. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, I thought that was cute. And then, and then Harry thought... Harry's no, insecurity no, rears its, its head. She's just playing a game, right? Yeah. And that's when Ron actually convinces him, which is something of a twist from other fic. But Ron is the one who says, mm-hmm. no, really, Ginny isn't the sort to be playing games. She likes you. She's liked you for years. And Harry finds himself having an involuntary grin on his face. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. And so he comes up with a counterattack plan. <laughs> I love his plan. Poor boy should come up with plans like this. He waits for Ginny to do her usual thing of sticking her hand on his leg, and he reaches for his food and is acting terribly casual and reaches his hand to her leg. Right. But he goes a step beyond. <laughs> kind of slides all the way up to her hip, and she's like, oh! <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Just very nonchalantly, and then, okay, that's enough. But he's thinking in his mind, oh, yeah, Jimmy's not going to know what hit her. No, he's thinking, game on. Yeah. So they get finished with dinner, and she's the first one out the door, which is kind of sad because he Aww. was looking forward to walking back to the common room with her. 
now it was over because he had called her bluff. So it was Damn. all just a game. Sniff. <laughs> so they go upstairs. Well, Ron and Neville go upstairs and leave Harry behind because he's doing something. Thinking. Well, he's thinking. He's trying to figure out what to do here. So, okay. Now we need a girl translator. Hermione! Hermione! <laughs> of course. She'll explain girls. She has one, right? And he has this brilliant idea, and he's just about to dash off to the common room and gets dragged behind a statue. Yeah, oh, somebody, suit of armor, actually. Yeah, somebody tackle bounced him. And then he played one on him. And once he realized who it was, uh, things got interesting. Um, he kind of turned the tables on her. <laughs> I love the line. Sorry, I love the line. What the hell are you doing? Ginny gasped. I kissing you, I thought. (laughs) Oh, Harry, I meant, why did you stop? (laughs) That's just cute. And then they have a little bit of a heart-to-heart, and he pours out his thoughts about this whole game-playing thing and how he can't possibly stand it. Mm Mm-hmm. If you're playing some game, then tell me now. But don't put me through any more of this, please. And they realize, yes, they both mean it, and they like each other, and go back to kissing. Then they kiss for ages and ages until they hear footsteps coming. I love snogging. Lots of snogging. I just like, because you're driving me insane, and Ron and your brothers (laughs) would kill me. (laughs) And she says, what do you mean? And he kind of shows her what he means. And she admits that actually she wasn't planning to go as far as they had with the whole thing every meal. But she started with the welcoming feast, and then she found she couldn't stop doing it because yes. he, he never responded. Our skin of steel, Mr. Potter. <laughs> but all of that changed when she grabbed him and snogged him. So, hey, woo! Go, Jenny. Go, go Jenny. Jenny. <laughs> From there, we skip on to the Yule Ball and Mm -hmm. discover that Ron has indeed got together with Luna, at least for this anyway. And Seamus is actually taking Hermione to the ball, which is kind of interesting, but fun. That threw me for a loop there. I thought it was going to be Neville. Uh, Why not? It's Seamus. Seamus is the, yeah, I'm the ladies' man. Ooh. (laughs) He's He's got the Irish Blarney working for him. (laughs) Exactly. I found that random. Ginny comes down in her wonderful dress robes, and her hair is held up with a pencil again. That's this cute. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> you think she would have at least put glitter on the pencil or something? It though? could be a glittering pencil. Well, I want to know where the pencil came from. The pencil came from, from the, beginning. the first time. Yeah, from the very beginning. But they don't have pencils. They have quills. Well, that's true. Oh, oh. yeah. Just <laughs> live with it. Well, at least it's not a gel pen or something. She stole it from Hermione. That would work. No, she stole it from her dad. Oh, her dad, oh, of yeah. course. Maybe the twins use them for their plans. I don't know, plans. I use a pencil to hold my hair up. I'll use a pencil or a crochet hook or... I use knitting needles. <laughs> well, they're too long. I poke myself. I, I wear them to work, so it's usually whatever is available to grab. I use hair elastics. What do you use to hold up your hair, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, nothing. His head. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Back on track. So they've been dating for months, and Ron and Luna are hot and heavy dating, too. <laughs> and as that long just, as Ron... That just threw me sorry, for another I loop. Yeah. I just... I'm sorry, but what was it? We talked about... Uh, the Nargles finding well, the Nargles. Yes. It says, Harry was really wondering what their relationship entailed after Ron had returned to their dorm one night with a stunned but happy look on his face. <laughs> and it was like, hmm, what did Luna do? 
<laughs> and Kayla said she was looking for narcos. <laughs> Ron must have had a festation of it in his hair or something. <laughs> oh no! Oh That's dear. Bad. <laughs> Uh, I think it was a bit lower, but... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got the snort. All right. But as Harry said, so long as Ron didn't share any details, Harry didn't have to. Right? <laughs> he refused to discuss uh, it. <laughs> well, if they're hot and heavy, Luna's not looking for nargles in his hair. <laughs> Oh, a double snort! Woo! I'm crying! <laughs> Come on, we're talking about Luna here. <laughs> I mean, we've had fix where it's like, Luna, you guys need to go. Yes, they're going to have intercourse, so we need to leave. It's like, oh, oh yeah, I God. love that. <laughs> she's a blunt girl. She's very Harry, blunt. On the other hand, has nothing particular happening except some pretty amazing snogging sessions, he says. You can kind of realize why they might confine themselves to that, considering Dumbledore walks in on them at one point. Yeah. yeah. I guess yeah. that's at the end of the Quidditch Next Cup section. game. They do much the same thing actually happened in the sixth book. Dumbledore comes up behind them and says, perhaps you could find a more appropriate time to celebrate than in yeah. front of the whole school after the game. Right. And she giggled. I know. <laughs> giggled? Dear Merlin. <laughs> Can you imagine getting broken up by Dumbledore, though? Oh, yeah. But, you know, she'd do it with that twinkle in his eye, so it wouldn't be quite as bad. Oh, that's creepy. <laughs> He's like, I know what you're doing. He knows exactly what's going to happen next. Which does. I think they're heading to dinner, but then Ginny ends up leading him to the room of requirements. Well, we think it's room of requirements. They look for their own Nargles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're looking for their own. <laughs> it's a door behind a tapestry, but it doesn't. I don't think it says she walks past it three times. It's, no. It's just a door behind a tapestry that Fred found one time, and it's a room that is a pile of pillows, basically, is the entire room. Yeah, because that's where Fred and Angelino used to go. So he's left it set up. I hope he scorchified it. <laughs> I would think so. Either that or the house elves did it for them. Oh! Poor house elves. Hey, they have to do laundry, you know. And setting everything back up again afterwards. <laughs> I bet the house elves clean up a lot after. I mean, especially if Hogwarts is anything like Lavender Browns. Yeah. Yeah, boobies! <laughs> but anyway, in this fic, Ginny tells him to lock the door. The two of them then lock eyes, and she says, come here, and he becomes incoherent for the rest of the chapter. <laughs> right. <laughs> he like, and Harry was lost. Harry's brains leaked out of his ears. <laughs> she starts taking off his her clothes, and then she kind of takes off some of his clothes and lays out the Quidditch robes. It's a good thing the game only lasted 30 minutes, because otherwise those robes would probably be really icky. Yeah. yeah. That'd be stinky. I mean, I like hot, sweaty boys, too. Yeah, still. not after they're done there's, playing. There's some stinkiness. So we have Ginny and Harry doing the wild thing. No, they went looking for snorgles. Or nargles, yeah. Uh, snorgles. <laughs> snorgles. The end of the chapter basically fades to black. And that is in the beginning of Power of Truth. 
Power of Truth. That's the first prequel one-shot. We're going to cover the second and third chapters. Yeah, this this whole thing is really set up as three separate one-shots. They've just stuck in one story because they're all prequels to Power of Truth. So you will have to come back next week and listen to all the regular host people talking about the main stories. And then we'll talk about the final two one-shots, the middle and the end. We're going to say goodnight here, and we'll see you all next week. Join us for the second half of In the Beginning by Creative Quill. And hope everybody has a good week. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Good night, everybody.